This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Terry and, of course, Jeffrey Liam Simpson. Terry from the South, not the North, bringing you the latest and greatest information the headlines, we'll be getting to that in a bit. Uh, also, by the way, as uh, Apple is on the verge of becoming a trillion-dollar company, mm, yes, we're going to talk about why we can't fix our own electronic devices. Right. But why? even beyond cell phones and well, you know, sure. personal devices. But boy, uh, it seems like, you know, you, you should be able to keep your phone forever, hand it down forever. Right. And get it fixed just by Uncle Larry. Sure. In the back of his, you know, truck. He'll fix it. He fixes everything. And even beyond that, where farmers are having to essentially jailbreak their tractors yeah. to but, get but, them fixed. <laughs> but the whole argument that you don't own that tractor, you just make the payments for that tractor to use our right. equipment and our great technology. Yeah. That's nuts. What's happening to this world? Of course I own my tractor. I make but, the but payment you, every day. But do you own the software? Even like in your car. Most new cars have what they um, refer to as an infotainment system. Yeah. Ish. You don't own the software on that infotainment system. You're not allowed to go in there and mess with that software. You right. might actually not also own your phone if you depending on what payment plan you go with. That's true. Yeah, you're, what you're just do, leasing it. What do you really own? Yeah. But you have to make the payment. Right? Or they're going to get on you. Wrong. Oh yeah, they want all, everyone wants their money. Don't. That interesting. So you could you could not even own your infotainment system, but be completely frustrated by it because it never works. And they're horrible. Everyone. There's and then, not one that, Yeah, so that, if you called them and said, you got to fix my infotainment center, so the minute I plug my phone in, everything works perfectly instead of me having to go through seven buttons. Right. And they'd say, what? Eh. There isn't an update, and you can't do anything about it. Yeah, we're not ready to do that yet, but you don't own it, so don't mess with it. But if you think about it, the companies are making money off this software, right? And they're they're protecting their product right. from competitors and from other people altering it because if you alter it, it may mess up. Because these infotainment systems control all aspects of the car also. Right. So if you start messing with it, all of a sudden your heater turns on for no reason and you're trying to shut it off and it's broken, so they don't want you messing with all that. But if you, you think you could just buy it... And then mess with it, and if you mess with it and ruin it, you've lost you've lost your car. That's the consumer angle. It's my risk. Right. Here's another example. My Los Angeles Dodgers seem to be broken right now. I don't own them, and I keep trying to get a hold of Dave Roberts to fix them, but uh, he doesn't seem to be listening. Well, yeah. Uh, you are what we call but I buy, a fanatic. I buy tickets. I watch their games. Well, I'm but, a consumer, but I don't own them. But you, Well, when you buy a ticket, you're not buying the team. You're just buying a seat in their stadium. Wrong. And when you, you, know, when you buy their hat, you do own their hat. But I you do don't, own a Dodgers hat. But you don't own the team. See, that's the difference. You don't own the logo, though. You purchased a copy of the logo, yeah. but if you go to try to do something with that, they right. will... Send their SWAT team through your roof, and they will take you out. So why can't I just fix my own phone? It's my own phone. I could. Why can't I just put a battery in it? Why can't I have a battery at the mall and just pick up the battery and then go watch a YouTube video and put it in? Yeah, seems really like like a no brainer. Well, there are websites now where you can find that. 
Yeah. But it voids your warranty, of course. But what they really want to do is make it so you don't use that phone anymore mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because you need to buy a new phone. Right. So they can become a trillion-dollar company. Are you still exactly. using your phone as a phone? No, I, it's actually a doorstop now. Okay. I just jam it right under the door. And Most people don't. Darn, this thing. thing happened. I broke my glass on it. So now I'm trying to replace my glass so I can use it as a better doorstop. On your phone? Yeah. You broke it? No. Oh. I mean, come on. Respect your phone. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. We got a great show other than uh, <laughs> that. Boy, holy cow. I have such respect for the people in Houston and they're keeping it together. And now, in, yeah, into Louisiana. Yep. The stories are amazing when you watch. And honestly, it makes you wonder, too. I mean, I know the media is just doing their job. But when somebody just has been slogging out of the water, dragging their whole family and anything they own on a dinghy, don't ask some stupid question. How do you feel? Yeah. What are you going to do now? How 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 uh, how yeah? How is your how is your home? Hmm. Well, I'm dragging my TV out, right. so it's not good. But thanks for asking. It's unbelievable what you could ask. They ask, "What have your last 24 hours been like?" You know what you really could ask? What's that? Are you okay? Well, before the cameras go on, they ask them, "Can I speak with you on camera?" So there's yeah. that conversation that's already happened. Well, what they and really the need to ask nuts, though is, so like, "Are you healthy? Are you okay? Can I, can I serve you somehow? Can I do something for you?" No, but instead they're like, "Okay, hit it. Ready? Okay, can we talk to you on camera? Are you good for this?" What are your views on President Trump? Do you think President? Do you think Melania should have wore um, <laughs> heels into the air, the helicopter on the way down here? Good grief. I mean, people are dying for heaven's sakes. Do you hear the story about? But the how family? do you know that? How do you know that? Because these how do media you know? stations are making a lot of money running this twenty four seven. But no, but how do you know people are dying? How do you know what media. their employee? Yeah, there, so there's a, there's that, a help, and you, then there's, there's but you don't ask the question. So when your six family members died in sure. that van, tell that us what that felt like. So we, he, uh, <laughs> it felt bad. They asked the guy, "Were you close to him?" And he goes, "Of course, the babies died." What do you? Yeah. I mean, and the it was a horrible question. I understand. It's a horrible everything. But at the same time, the media is generally doing this. In a, they're doing this, and they're informing everyone. Because sure. if they didn't do sure. it, then no one would really pay attention well, to what's going on. Look what's happening over in Asia right now. What's happening? Monsoon in Asia? season. Yeah. In this one area, a thousand people died. Yeah, do we even hear about it here? No, no, because this is happening. But they'll hear Houston. about it in Asia. Eh, well, they do. I don't know if they quite I mean, the have Asian the media, media are all over it. It's just we got we have people dying. We have people dying hmm. and carrying out everything they own. Sure, and it's being documented. It's I mean, and by the way, right. amazing miracles. Right. Being documented. And there's a few cases where people ask some dumb questions. Yeah. And a lot of commercials being sold. Absolutely. Wouldn't it be better if they put down their camera and their microphone and went over and helped the That'd person? That'd be great. That'd be great. And even the cameraman well, they're could doing keep running. That too. Yeah, they there's are. been several cases where people have helped people. And amazingly, we've heard about them. Right. How? Because the camera's media. rolling. Because <laughs> the media. So, it, it, again, it's, it's they're doing their job. I get it. I've got a degree in it. I've worked in the industry. And... There's a point where you sometimes just put the camera down and just and they've done that. Help people heal. How do you feel about celebrities that will donate money to these causes and it's publicized that they donated the money? Well, again, in a way, I well, the money, them giving the money is one thing, but if they like JJ Watts has raised a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I don't know how yesterday it was up to four million dollars he had right. raised. 
So I like that they use their their cred and their you know their celebrity to get money. I think that's super cool. Right. Well, it but is good. The, the minute it's it is just good. about I donated this much. That's... Sandra Bullock donated a million. Disney donated a million. I'm surprised it was only a million actually. Hmm. But you know, then there are examples like Steve Buscemi who helped back in 2001 on September 11th, and people didn't know about that until after the fact yeah. because it was very he didn't want any. You know, he didn't want yeah. any coverage. He just wanted to be there to help. I guess that's the deal is they've got these response. They've got they've got a following. If you've got a million Twitter followers, you could organize. You could, you know, do whatever you can. And maybe that's what they're trying to do is excite their followers to give. Hmm? You but, inspire others yeah. through your action. Yeah. That's cool. Um, really, it's a, it's, it really is, I think, a pretty neat uh, example of humanity and what happens when we gather together. And meanwhile, you contrast that with what was going on just a few weeks before and all of the tension and all of the dissension and anger. Um, it's amazing that uh, how resilient we are as humans. And we probably ought to always remember these moments um, as we have bigger problems to solve moving forward. Um, okay, Terry, let's get to the headlines. What else is going on around the country we should be paying attention to? On Wednesday, the president and CEO of the Arkema Chemical Company said that because of the extreme flooding in, at his Crosby, Texas facility, there's no way to prevent an explosion at the plant. At least two explosions were reported at the Houston area chemical plant oh. this morning. According to the Harris County Emergency Operations Center, the plant creates organic peroxides, which must remain cooled by a refrigeration oh, system boy. in order to prevent uh, dangerous reactions. It had... Uh, they couldn't keep it cool. It had, like, you know, main power, that went out. So it had backup power, and then that went out. No uh, refrigeration, and it exploded, apparently. Boom. Residents within a mile and a half of the facility were evacuated on Tuesday as a safety precaution. At least two deputies were taken to local hospitals after inhaling fumes from the plant following the explosion. The fumes are not expected to be life-threatening. All personnel were pulled back from the site earlier this week. Uh, it took on four to six feet of water in the plant, and they lost power. Mm. All backup power systems failed. Uh, and, and other uh, Hurricane Harvey additional... I wonder how they felt. What do you mean? Just asking the question. Yeah, I wonder what they How'd felt. How'd you guys feel? That would be so scary to know... This thing's going to blow, and we can't do do anything about it. Hurricane Harvey may have caused a release as much as 2 million pounds of pollutants from manufacturing plants and oil refineries Mm. in the Houston area, according to regulatory findings. The report submitted to the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality specifically cites potentially hazardous airborne pollutants exceeding legal limits. It's unclear how many of these were released and what their impact will be. That'll have to happen later as they've turned off all the equipment that monitors Uh, this stuff because, you know, floods. they got to get out of there. President Donald Trump is promising billions to help Texas rebuild from Hurricane Harvey, but his Republican allies in the House are looking to cut almost $1 billion from disaster accounts to help finance the president's border wall. The pending reduction to federal emergency management agency's disaster relief account is part of a spending bill that the House is scheduled to consider next week when Congress returns from its August recess. $876 million cut is what's been proposed, part of a 1,300-page measure of Homeland Security section to help pay for the wall. It seems sure that the GOP leaders will move to reverse this disaster aid cut next week because, you know, optics. It looks bad. Doesn't look good. Doesn't look good. So they're like, uh, we're not going to do that. Yesterday, uh, President Trump was in Missouri talking about his new tax plan for America, which includes tax cuts, although Trump did not offer specifics on how his proposed tax cuts would affect the nation's budget deficits and debt. He did seem certain that it was a plan that everyone should get behind. He goes, what could possibly be more bipartisan than allowing families to keep more money? 
to keep more of what they earn, Trump asked, hailing his proposal as the pay raise that American workers have been looking for. Trump said he would ideally like to lower the business tax rate to 35%, or from 35 to 15. It seems more ideal that it would be more of a 25% cut, because 15 might maybe just too much for the economy to handle. He goes, my administration is embracing a new economic model. It's called, very simply, the American model. Okay. So what have we been using the... French model? Not sure. Okay. <laughs> That's what he said. Okay. He also said that if Democratic Senator Claire McCaskill of Missouri does not support his tax plan, Ooh. you must vote her out of office. He's taken on a Democrat. Yeah. Then conservative commentator Ann Coulter was uh, put out on Twitter that she was not happy with the plan, calling it tone deaf, saying on Twitter that Jeb Bush had better ideas for tax reform. Oh, is that a... <laughs> That's, a, I guess, a diss? Yeah. Nobody likes He Jeb. wasn't big on tax reform. Jeb! 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 And finally, back to Houston. Four bakers who became trapped in their bakery for two days in the wake of the hurricane made hundreds of loaves of bread to give to flood victims. The workers from the El Bolio Bakery in Houston used nearly 4,000 pounds of flour to bake bread and a Mexican sweet bread throughout the night and the day after they were left stranded by the floods over the mm. weekend. The four bakers had been working late uh, late shift when they realized they could not leave the shop because the level of water in the streets had risen. To take their minds off worrying about their families and friends, they decided to continue to bake for those affected by the devastating downpours. The Mexican bakery specializes in Mexican cakes and pastries had remained dry and had not been cut off with uh, from power. Mm. So they're stuck inside, so they just started just baking. Just make bread. And How so cool is that? The manager returned once the waters receded and they went in and they just started uh, driving around town, going to all the emergency centers and handing out bread. That is now they're seen awesome. As heroes. Yeah. Well, and yeah, and then the, I mean, management's got to be like, okay, yeah. I mean, that's a, so that's a employees making the really cool decision and then managers saying, yeah, we'll pay for that. Cause that's good. Right. I mean, that's a lot of money. Right. But I guess you're not, the thing's shut down now, right? You're not getting. Yeah, they're not getting anything. So that all that so cool. Flour's got a shelf life, obviously. Yeah. And, well, and if how many they get people flooded, need food there yeah. right now? Right. That's awesome, man. See, that's just good humanity right there. I'm telling you. I wonder how they feel about it. No yeah. one asked them. Hey, how do you guys feel about making the bread? <laughs> it, is, it is the dumbest. It happens in sports all the time. Oh, I know. I you can't believe it. You scored the touchdown. How do you feel? Well, I you, feel what great. Do you, what do you think? <laughs> It's. I mean, they, they and they do an important job. They're documenting it, right. and they they don't want to become the story, but they almost have to many times because people are dying, and I got to help you get out of the water. But right. no, it, it, it's really frustrating when like you you see them walk out of the water, and yeah. they're like, "So you having a good day?" I'm like, no. And it's that weird balance they have to they have to play too because it, they have to make ratings. This is this is time to make hay in the right. media business. And, I mean, imagine how many of their lives are crazy because they're mm-hmm. standing in Houston somewhere. But <sighs> yeah, it it's interesting. A local station here in Utah has been able to raise about $350,000. Which to, one? Uh, KSL. Oh. To donate um, to the people of Houston. And so it's good. It's good. Hmm. It's just – it's crazy too. The, I mean some of the video you just – I can't believe what people are going through. The guy that lost his parents and four of his kids – Oh. In a van that just floated away from him. Right. Unbelievable. And then he, the wife was recounting the story about how she called and said, yeah, they're all gone. They're gone. Wow. It's crazy. Count yourself blessed if you're not struggling through this. But also make sure you go in and let it temper your mind and your ideas about life because 
Again, we had, remember four weeks ago, three weeks ago, we had a country divided, totally fighting over everything because of Charlottesville and other issues. And now we have a city united doing everything they can. Color is irrelevant. Whether you're from the north or the south is irrelevant. Uh, your religion is irrelevant. Now everybody's just helping. And it's amazing what one – we've said it a million times on the show – what one disaster can do to bring us together. How do we keep that spirit alive after uh, and through this? I mean, remember, two people in Louisiana are just now getting hit by the thing. Um, Crazy, crazy life. About 118,000 people are without uh, electricity, I believe, in uh, Louisiana. So <sighs> keep praying and keep uh, keep serving, keep giving, keep being the great humans you are. We'll continue the journey. Up next, we'll be talking about why we can't fix our own devices. Why is it that the, the companies that are selling us these products won't let us get in and fix them? Interesting insight up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. If your tire goes flat, what do you do, right? You get out of your car, you change the tire. If the air conditioning unit stops working, you open it up, take a look at it, but if your iPhone will not turn on, what do you do? Well, you, of course, you got to drive 40 minutes to the closest Apple store and have them fix it for you. Why is it that uh, we can't fix our own electronic devices? Why is it that these companies are making trillions? I mean, Apple's about to, to become a trillion-dollar company, and yet we, you know, it's it's like, it's almost impossible to get in and, and fix something on your own uh, iPhone. So here to help us understand what's going on is uh, Sarah Badad, who is an assistant professor of mechanical and aerospace engineering at the University of Buffalo, um, uh, at the State University of New York. Her research includes sustainable design and manufacturing, remanufacturing, and end-of-life product recovery. Sarah, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, Sure. It's an honor to be on the program. Thank you for having me. You bet. Great to have you. And what an interesting topic as well. Um, Why? Okay. So is it this isn't by accident, right, that they're not they're not providing um, parts so that we can just go in and fix our own phones. These companies, they're doing this for a reason. All right. Talk about the reason. Talk about why Uh, it is they don't want us messing with it. Um, if we want to be very critical, we can say that repair service actually these days is looked at as an important and consistent income stream for manufacturers and companies. Yeah. So you could see that the cost of repair is very high for consumers, and, and that is for several reasons. For example, spare parts are not available, spare parts are expensive. The required tools for repair are unavailable. The repair processes are very time-consuming. The repair processes are very complicated, and repair manuals are not available to the market. Hmm. And these reasons actually can somehow be fixed by manufacturers. But since manufacturers look at repair service and even after-sales service as a kind of income stream, therefore it's very difficult for them to basically develop some of those policies to solve uh, the repair issues. 
And then is it is it because they I mean, like, I guess you're saying they also they can make a lot of money on the repairs, but they can also repurpose the phones and get you, you know, force you to to buy a new phone. Right. That's that planned obsolescence. Right. They want your phone. They want you to not want your phone anymore to get the newest phone. Um, yes, actually, we should mention that manufacturers have their own challenges as well. For example, they want to be competitive in the market, therefore they constantly have to innovate and develop new products. So they have to find a way to motivate consumers to return back their old devices and upgrade to new ones. On the other hand, it's very, um, I would say, costly for them to uh, keep down the supply chain costs and inventory costs so they cannot keep making and stocking parts for old and outdated devices forever. Therefore, they have to um, develop some of these planet obsolescence to make the cost uh, lower. Uh, but on the other hand, they can somehow optimize the warranty time of the products. Um, unfortunately, these days we will see that most of the failures of electronics uh, happen immediately after the warranty expires. Right. So I would say that um, because they optimize the cost, they optimize the cost of actually developing new products, the, the marketing costs, and so on. Um, and obviously, manufacturers' um, objective should be to make profit. Um, but they, um, our research actually suggests that they can find other ways to make profit as well. And and that could happen if they design, let's say, repairable products and they operate in the market, they can increase consumer loyalties in the long run. And they can actually have more consumers in the long run because consumers will purchase from the same brand, will, will recommend it to their friends and families if they have successful, let's say, repair experiences. Uh, because, uh, unfortunately, consumers do not pay attention to repair problem at the purchase time. Many of us don't really care about that. But when a product is failed, that is the time that we start thinking that, okay, what would be the cost of repair and how repairability is important to us. So I think if we somehow educate and train even consumers to think about repairability at the purchase time, that will help a lot, and then that will provide some motivations for manufacturers to actually consider some of these policies. Yeah, it seems like it seems like in the automobile world, for example, we um, we like the cars that are uh, that we know can last a long time, that are well made, but also the ones that that we can uh, more easily get the parts for and and continue to fix down the road. Is it just? Is it these electronic companies, device companies that are that have such a different mentality? It's almost like it's it's more of a disposable thing. We buy the phone for eight hundred dollars, we keep it for four years, we break the screen, the battery wears out, and we just almost think it's time to get a new one. Um, but those phones don't just go only to the landfill, right? They also go back, and then they're re reconstructed re, uh, and sold in other markets. Um, yes, I would say yes and no, because uh, in many cases, actually, the formal collection rates of all electronics is very low, and the percentage of that actually will uh, return back to the landfill also is high, because in many cases, either consumers will store their electronic devices after they are done with that, or they may put it in trash bin, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. But there are a percentage of people who return them back 
to, um, I would say, official take-back programs. But some studies shows that actually a big portion of these uh, old electronics will be exported from the country to other um, um, underdeveloped, um, basically developing regions and um, will be recycled in a kind of informal way, which will bring environmental challenges for those regions and also economic loss for our country. So I would say uh, um, refurbishing electronics still has a long way to go. And there are, again, several reasons behind that, because the cost of refurbishing is high. The collection rate from consumers is not um, basically um, sufficient. On the other hand, still consumers prefer to purchase new electronics than refurbished ones. Mm. For example, most of us are okay with purchasing used cars, but we may not be okay with purchasing refurbished electronics because we don't know that they are actually reliable. So I think uh, we still need perhaps a few years uh, to to create a market for refurbished um, electronics in the U.S. Um, at least. Um, um, and then that will bring a kind of motivation for manufacturers to refurbish electronics and um, create a market for it either in the U.S. or in other countries or other regions. But yeah, yeah so I think that... Is- is it feasible when you look at it as a professional, Sarah, is it feasible that we could actually make the repairs, the most common repairs on a cell phone? Could the average person – I mean it seems like an average person, once they learn how to do it, it's fairly simple to change a tire. It might be you know, mm-hmm. it might be difficult, but you can do it. But um, can the average person fix what needs to be fixed in the, you know, the most common cell phone repair? I should actually point out that we we are far away from allowing even individual consumers to repair their own electronics, but the point is that these days even third-party service providers cannot help with the repair industry because, again, the, the spare parts are very expensive. The spare parts are not actually sold to the third-party repair service provider and the repair manuals are so are not available mm. to them. So I would say still the market for repair is in the hand of manufacturers rather than having a market in which both third party service providers and manufacturers actually can compete and basically reduce the cost of repair. So I think first we need to make that market available, being a kind of open market for repair services. And then this story would be different if we want to allow individual, basically, consumers to repair their own electronics. Oh. So, yeah, uh, that, that's yeah. maddening, right? I mean, because, again, I, I, you know you're going to wear out a battery over a few years. You know you're going to break a screen. Um, what can consumers do to put, I guess, a little pressure on manufacturers or is it – I mean I, I guess in your article you talked more about it might have to be governments that put more pressure on manufacturers to make parts and you know the manuals available. Yes, I would say one solution could be legislation, but as you mentioned, it's better actually to um, to basically create a market in which um, manufacturers could respond to consumers' needs, and don't they should not be worried about legislation. But currently, the pitch that actually manufacturers um, 
are spreading is that they will no longer sell parts because they want to protect consumers from possibly having their devices stolen. And because of the copyright issue, let's say they don't allow um, consumers to repair their own electronics and they basically pitch the problem in that aspect. Um, but I guess uh, if, at least if they make the buyers aware at the time of purchase that for how long the spare parts will be available to the market, um, what would be the situation of basically repair spare part availability uh, availability of repair manuals in the market? Therefore, co- consumers at some point they will recognize the importance of report, as basically repair, and then they have to. Um, because the, the job of manufacturer is to make consumers happy. So if we make consumers aware of the issue, and then manufacturers will respond and to their consumer needs. Yeah. yeah. Again, we're speaking with Sarah Badad, who is an assistant professor of mechanical and aerospace engineering at the University of Buffalo, the State University of New York. She's talking to us about an article she wrote, Why, we, uh, why Can't We Fix Our Electronic Devices?, and very interesting insight. Um, there are some states in the United States that are that are moving forward laws um, about uh, that, that would make it, I guess, a little more likely, or or you more likely in that state to maybe be able to do some of those repairs. Talk about talk about uh, that like that uh, legal process. Yeah, so um, actually my knowledge is very limited about legislation because our research is mainly focused on the impact of product design and consumers. But we follow what the news actually is about legislation. Um, These days at least eight states are considering laws that uh, would somehow force manufacturers to to make, to, to sell, let's say, parts in the market to um, make repair manuals available and to actually make make uh, repair tools and equipment also available to the market. Um, again, because um, um, these days um, the third-party repair shops do not have access to many of these spare parts and they do not have even um, access to repair manuals because manufacturers um, basically don't want to share those information and their pitch is that they will no longer sell part to protect consumers from possibly having their devices stolen or for uh, intellectual property issue or for copyright issue. But these days, for example, the U.S. Copyright Office suggested that we should have similar rules over the nation to somehow protect consumers' rights and um, basically ask manufacturers to to accommodate some of these basically issues. Yeah. In fact, you mentioned the copyright laws and one of the one of the I think surprising things that that's happened that you can see happening in um kind of this electronic world is um farmers for example have really advanced uh, tractors and farm equipment now that is run on very advanced uh, computer programs and algorithms and now uh, these farmers who used to maybe buy and uh, buy their own tractors, keep them, keep them forever. Now, what they're finding out is they themselves don't even have 
ownership of everything in the in these in the tractors, right? They don't own right. the computers, the equipment. Talk about the impact that's having. Yeah, that definitely will impact farmers a lot because imagine in the middle of night something, just a small uh, problem happened because let's say failure of a sensor, which is not even important. Um, and uh, the farmers cannot fix their tractors, and they have to actually wait and um, imagine that the repair service um, location is um, um, 50 miles away, and they have to basically wait. Um, mm. They need to stop their work to find a way to fix it, and then finally it turns out that it's a very, very um, a small uh, failure that even doesn't affect the, uh, the performance of the, or is not important even. Because most of this, as you mentioned, um, because of the software and uh, um, basically electronic uh, uh, parts that are currently used in those devices, they cannot fix them themselves. And it will bring, uh, obviously, uh, too many yeah. issues for them. I mean, I mean, really, and especially for a farmer that is used to being able to pretty much fix anything on their right. farm to, to self-sustain. Um, boy, to be stopped by a copyright idea or a copyright infringement. I guess this is going to happen more and more, it seems like, huh, Sarah? Because in the end, uh, we there there is so much more being run by technology and there are patents and, and laws about who owns that technology and they don't want that technology to, to be stolen by other organizations or companies. So um, do you just project that we'll have more and more situations – uh, like we're seeing now, where we just won't be fixing our devices, we won't be we won't be able to do it ourselves. Right, um, as you mentioned, these days everything is a kind of electronics. Um, actually, it's funny because um, we still don't have a, a precise definition for um, electronic waste or e-waste uh, because. Um, Every year, a new type of devices are coming to the market, and all of them are electronics. So if we actually don't perhaps stop this situation, that could spread to all the products that we are using, and then it will limit repair capability, reuse, recycling, um, basically um, a lot. And it will bring not only, I would say, economic loss for um, the country and consumers, but also environmental issues a lot. Because imagine if you can't fix any type of product in yeah. the future, then what will happen? So uh, I and, agree. And we've talked, uh, we've talked to the author of the book, Garbology, about how much garbage is, is you know, being made by these new advancements. And also he wrote another book on transportation about how, you know, how far your phone has to, has to fly and move in order to get the phone to you. So, Sarah, this is – Cutting-edge stuff, and we appreciate your insight again. Sarah Badad is her name, and she is an assistant professor of mechanical and aerospace engineering at the University of Buffalo, the State University of New York. And uh, we're, we're just grateful to have her insights. Imagine, though, this also sets up the day that you're probably not even going to want to own your car, right? Because why own it if you can't fix it, if you can't adapt it and adjust it, if you can't get the parts you want? Maybe we'll just get to an economy where you either don't have a car and you just ride or do Uber and share cars, or uh, maybe you get to a point where everything's just leased and you're just used to making a payment, I guess. What's happening? What about the good old days when you could just run down to the auto parts store and pick up a filter to put in? Yeah. 
those days may be gone because now you have a copyright infringement. <laughs> crazy, crazy days. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll continue the journey. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. So we can't apparently fix our own stuff, and apparently you can't, you know, start a new company to be the cell phone repair shop no. because you can't get any parts. You have to be licensed. You have to be licensed, and they're yeah. not going to license you, and they're not going to give you the parts, and they're not going to give you a manual. So you're just going to have to find another job. And then on top of it, uh, you found a really interesting list about 18 best jobs for people who don't like people. Yes. Because that's, I mean, there's a lot of us starting to not like humans anymore. Well, you know, if you're introverted, maybe you don't like to put yourself out there. Yeah. You claim to be one, but you, I'm a total you're introvert. on the radio. Um, no, you don't have to actually talk to people. I mean, you talk to us, but it's not yeah, like there's like Are you guys people? Occasionally. We, Compared to us, you are not an introvert. Yeah, I'm an introvert. No. I'm a socially adept introvert. I you're don't... <laughs> I, so introversion means you get your energy by from inside of you. Extroversion means you get your energy outside of you. I don't get energized by others. I get energized all by myself. Anyway. So for this, they, the, uh, the authors consulted the Occupational Information Network, a U.S. Department of Labor database full of detailed information on oh. 974 occupations. Wow, okay. They rate each occup the uh, the occupational information network rates each occupation on a scale scale from zero to one hundred on how much a job requires workers to be in contact with others, <laughs> okay, and good. how much a job requires workers to be pleasant with others. Oh, uh, they, yeah. These are all listed, yeah, right? Yeah. So they pick the right top eighteen. Okay. So but, so if you don't like people. And you uh, you don't want to be around people. These are the jobs you'll want. And so it says, well, people who hold these positions aren't necessarily standoffish. No. The following jobs got the lowest average scores and therefore require minimal good-natured interaction with others. The great high count, high chancellor of North Korea. Yes. There's one. He doesn't have to do anything. So the number one job they listed, foundry mold and core makers. They make form wax or sand cores and mold using the production of yeah. metal casting and foundries. They run a machine. Sounds like a great job. And by the way, you're probably in a really loud oh, yeah. place. There's no conversation. There's no, you can't talk. Everyone's got and headphones you're all on. Wearing all these protective gear. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. It'd be great. Uh, two is watch repair. Oh yeah, because you need it quiet mm -hmm. so that you can do the delicate work of watch repair. And if you go into a watch repair shop, which you know you all have. Oh yeah. Oh, I did. You see I, just, just one, yesterday one one guy in the back with weird glasses yeah. on, and no one's talking to and him. And he's always like cross-eyed because he's been looking yeah. at that small watch. <laughs> cross-eyed. Quarry rock splitters. They break blocks of rough dimension stone from quarry mass using a jackhammer. What a horrible job that would be. <laughs> <laughs> All day long. But again, you don't have to talk to That's anybody. That's so great. That, mm. Agricultural equipment operators. They drive and control farm equipment. Yeah. You're the tractor driver that, yeah. So another one where your hearing is just shot. Yeah. They perform tasks like crop bailing or hay bucking. See, but now they have these really sure nice, they have is. great equipment. 
So you like it's all weather controlled. You can sit in there and just listen to books on tape <laughs> all by yourself in the middle of Iowa. Just pray that the software does not go That's true. Are you in trouble. Yep. Five is a mathematician. They yeah. just work on proofs. And that's never happened. And they Those stare the, at a board. They do like math magic tricks, right? Mm-hmm. Mathematicians? Yeah. Uh, economists? They conduct research, yeah. prepare reports, formulate plans. We occasionally bug them for an interview. Uh-huh. Oh, those are fun. Then they come in and it's like, when is this going to be over? Yeah, they're like, oh, this is so painful. <laughs> economists hate coming on the show. A potter. They operate production machines such as a plug mill, a jigger machine, or potter's wheel to process clay and manufacture. Harry Potter. Potter. I was thinking the yeah. same thing. So they hold on the jigger machine. The jigger machine, as it says. Uh, Jeff, you run the jigger machine, don't you? We have it in the other room. <laughs> Nothing. Nobody can run a jigger machine better than Jeffrey. You know, like they say, like you know, like the when I was a kid, like the TV wouldn't be, you know, the antenna yeah. need. You go and just jigger with the antenna, jigger. just move it around. <laughs> that's your job. Just go there. Jigger me timbers. I think every little kid growing up when I was a kid, everyone had that job. Because your dad yeah, didn't want to get off right, the couch. No. You were the remote. You were the remote. Transportation equipment painters. Transportation equipment, oh, equipment painters. They operate and tend painting machines to paint surfaces of transportation equipment like automobiles, buses, trucks, trains, boats, airplanes. That's a job? Yeah, they stand there and go, well, someone's got to paint there. Well, I know. You just you think they would automate Just that. be called a painter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, forging machine setters, operators, and tenders. Again, they set up and take care of machines. Okay. Yeah. Fallers. Oh, oh, I yeah, fall like, all the time. I don't get paid for it. I've fallen and can't get up. They use axes or chainsaws to fell trees oh. using knowledge of tree characteristics. Oh, oh those lumberjacks. Are, those are tim- yeah. timberists. They call them fallers. I they, thought they were timberists. But they do it in a way to minimize tree damage. Like the bounty man. Though I've seen the TV <laughs> shows, I don't see those guys like minimizing tree damage. They're just like, no. let's cut some stuff Maximizing down. tree damage. Okay. Hand grinding and polishing workers. Yeah. Geologic sample test technicians. Like you got to go mm. take a core sample. We got a core of the yeah. ice shelf, and we got to yeah look for aliens. Uh, before um, you see the doctor, we're going to need this sample from you. Just put <laughs> it in a little cup. <laughs> Garment or textile pressers. A lot of people using big machines that you can't have conversations around. That seems to be a key here. It's not a bad deal. Craft artists. They create, reproduce handmade objects for sale and exhibition using a variety of techniques. And Etsy. I didn't say that, but that's where they put it. Yeah, mm-hmm. is that where it is? Is on Etsy? Okay. Oh, they got to have a photograph, and then you got to have a, a whole paragraph like explaining the experience. Oh yeah, people want. And then if it, if it turns out nice, everyone can put it on Pinterest. Poets, lyricists, and creative writers. Yeah, uh, see that one I could do. Those are all solitary experiences, right? That's the only one on the list I think I could actually do. I mean, actually do. Hmm. Farm worker and crop laborers. Yeah, like if you're mm. out picking avocados. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, you tend to see there's like a lot of people out there, though. It's yeah. It's not like one person picking a crop of Maybe they're not multitaskers well, and they can't they, talk while do, they pick. But do they go together? I mean, like I'd want to be the lone guy that's off from everyone else. Right. And I'd probably just sing a hymn or something. Oh, well, well, there you just go. pick my avocados. If you were off by yourself, though, they'd probably think that you knew something that they didn't. <laughs> oh, he knows where the good ones are. <laughs> He's always got them good dogs. And the last one list, hunters and trappers. Yeah. See, these are all manly things. Well, yeah. It's just who doesn't want to talk to people? Men. Do you ever talk to couples where the husband feels like their wife is a hunter and a trapper? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, yeah, and the, and the wife's always like, oh, he's just a jiggerer. <laughs> all he wants to do is jigger. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's so, hard. There you go. Those are jobs. If you're <sighs> not wanting to be around people, you can work in those professions. They're very, very manly oriented. Eh. You know, put on I, some overalls, run a machine. Yeah, put on some headphones. But I, I've actually thought, you know, maybe I could be a truck driver, like a long haul truck driver. I think I would like that for a week. Tomorrow show, talking to a guy who did that. And we have some of our great fans and listeners of the show are truck drivers. We had one that suggested the topic that we're going to talk about tomorrow. Mm. How, how truck drivers are really not finding their way in the economy. Yeah, I'm worried about truck drivers because they, you know, more and more technology is creating bigger problems for all of us. Remember it was Bass? That was the guy yeah, who called Bass in. Yeah, Bass was our man. Seabass? Uh, it's a different bass. Oh, it's okay. bass. it's Seabass's brother. He defended oh. a previous Big uh, mouth bass. Board, board operator that we shamed on a daily yeah. basis. Yeah. He was a good man. Yeah. Bass, if you're listening, give us a call. 1-855-CHAT-BYU. We'd love to check in with you, see how uh, how driving's going. I really, I've thought about it, and not, not because it's an easy job, but because you're kind of alone and you could get a lot of stuff listened to. Plus, I think it'd just be fun to take an 18-wheeler and, you know, intimidate a little Hyundai. You would own the road. Own it! That's right. Good stuff, folks. We'll be back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We do what we can to give you a leg up in life. You're listening to us on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. It's happened. We got a call from our favorite truck driver in the world, Bass. Uh, Bass, are you there, my friend? Yes, man, I am. How are, how, now, where are you traveling today? Right now, I'm uh, near Cannonsburg, Kentucky. Holy cow. You haven't been down to Texas, have you, lately? Uh, not in the last three weeks. The last time I was there, about three weeks ago. Man, yeah, stay away from that. How are you, Bass? We've missed talking to you. I've been uh, doing well. Thank you. And uh, did you hear? So one of my goals eventually is to be a truck driver so I can listen to books on tape. Is that possible while you're driving truck? Um, no. Well, books on tape are kind of out of, uh, out of um, going rate. Most of us now, if we listen not to our radios, we listen to MP3, you know, books on MP3. That's right. Don't, uh, yeah, you use just the downloaded. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, man, Bass, we're out of time, but uh, are you healthy? Are you happy? Is the family okay? Life is good. On my way back to the Northwest, so it's all good. And if you want to come drive with me, you let me know, and I'll pick you up for a week. Oh, that would be so fun. Okay, Bass, keep listening, because we're going to do that, and then we're going to take it on the air. That would be really fun. Ooh, a, a week in the life of Bass. That would be such a good show. Let's do it. Okay, we're on it, folks. Doing what we can to help you be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Hour number two of the program, Dr. Matt here along with Terry South and Jeffrey Liam Simpson. The man, the myth, the legend. Jeffrey's on the keyboard and uh, Terry will be doing a little bass guitar for us. I'll be the vocalist. All right. 
Band's all here. If only we had a drummer. Yesterday I spoke to a drummer and I thought, what a cool gig that would be. They get all the girls. They get all the girls. They have all the rhythm. What happens if you're somebody that loves drumming with no rhythm? How long do you think you could uh, stay a drummer? I think you should start loving something else. Yeah. Maybe it's time to do drywall. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. People need their basements redone. They need drywall. Not everybody can be a drummer. i uh, got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking about the self-love experiment. We don't have enough love in the community, in the world. And so if stuff goes wrong, if you have a hard life, if something happens, if – Mother Nature throws you a curveball. We will talk about some things you can do to kind of re- reorganize, to regroup. Are you saying when we're feeling down on ourselves, we yeah. should just say, you know, I'm actually a good person. Yeah, I'm like good enough. Stuart Small. I'm smart enough. Mm-hmm. And doggone it, people like me. Exactly. Because if you feel like you're, you're not skinny enough, like if you're one of these people that is willing to throw $30 down to go lose eight pounds. <laughs> yeah, what's, who's, who does that? I don't know. It's crazy. I, I do that because I love myself. I know somebody that's done it twice. Hmm. It sounds like there may be a bigger problem. <laughs> he's, he's creating a habit though really yeah. is what he's doing. The bigger problem is I got to start buying new clothes. Is it the right kind of habit? Because they're falling off of me. There is a they sort are. of game of chance going on here. You know, it's so true. You know what, uh, Jeff, I didn't want to bring this up, but since you brought it up, because you're losing so much weight on this diet program, eight and a half pounds you've lost. 8.4 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but um, Terry brought up yesterday that you start, you're starting to look like a rodeo clown mm. with your pants <laughs> hanging from suspenders and those tiny little stick legs. And then that clown makeup with the beard and the cowboy hat. Yeah, but I've always had these gigantic shoes. Yeah. You look like a rodeo clown because your pants are just falling off your hips. Boy, mm. it's working. So whatever you say about well, dieting. He's in that stage of you don't quite want to commit. The, you, know, you, you commit by buying new clothes. Yeah. But you're not sure if the weight loss is going to stay yeah. off. And so you make that investment. Then you gain the weight back. And yeah. You already got rid of the fat clothes. Uh, what he's, do you do? he's saying he doesn't believe in me. Maybe I shouldn't. I totally maybe believe I, you. Maybe I, I'm not a good person. No, you're a great <laughs> No, 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 no. It's the self-love experiment. You oh, are yes. a good okay. person. Okay. You're good enough. And you're worth it, Mr. Okay. Smalley. You're smart enough. You're totally worth it. And doggone it. People like you. <laughs> we'll be covering that uh, as well as um, just we've got some crazy empty news for you today. Mm. I mean, unbelievable news. Like how many how many cars do you think – okay, it's hard to park, right? And some people, for example, I don't want to brag, mm. but I can parallel park anywhere. And if I actually pull off a parallel park, it's like high fives all around. Look what I did. Look what I did. I feel like it's like I'm a man. I you parked pull, the car. And you pull a whip out <laughs> yeah. and start whipping people. But I, I'm a really great parallel parker. But some aren't. So – and every once in a while, you just bump a little – you bump a car a little bit. Just a little bump. Yeah, just a tap. Just a little tap. Yeah, yeah. How many, how many taps, just little hits yeah. of a car do you think is okay? At what point is like, okay. Maybe I should do something else. You don't know how to park. Yeah. Maybe stop the action that you're doing because you're not good. Yeah. Well, you won't believe it. We've got a driver. Maybe maybe two. You think two? Maybe. Jeff, what would you say? How many just gentle little, not, not, no marring, no scarring taps on a car, bumper to bumper? I would only say one. 
I always freak out when I open my door and it hits somebody else's car. I I get out, look around, try to scratch off the red paint. If I, I, I don't, I think zero. Oh, really? I have a zero tolerance policy. (laughs) Wow. We've got a driver in a story, 17 times he hit a car. 17? 17 cars, or yeah, 17 cars trying to park. Wow, he's not very good. No. He may need to ride the bus. Yeah, and by the way, somebody apparently was counting. Well, yeah. So, and it's probably, yeah, yeah. They're called the people that own those cars. Oh, mess. We'll we, get to that. We also have a new sponsor that kind of goes along with the, the topic that we were just discussing in the last hour about some of those niche jobs yeah. that are ideal for people who don't like people. We have a great, we have a great sponsor that's going to help you find other jobs you can get. No, in, no, no, in no, no, a, no. In a, in a niche. No, it's actually a dating service. Oh. So, oh, you know, I thought it was You know how people tell you you shouldn't be too picky when you're dating? Yeah, well, no, that's this crazy. site basically yeah. says, "No, you can have somebody with the most specific wants and needs." Really? Niche hmm. mates. Niche mates. Niche mates. Didn't you have niche mates, Terry? No, I. And they, you had to have the antibiotics. There was a topical ointment that took care of that. Yeah. Niche mates. Niche mates. Uh, one wow. of our great sponsors. That'll be coming up in a bit as well. <laughs> niche mates. I I thought we were. I thought I thought we were ready to release the other sponsor of the door to door thing. That well, I'm not that going. Is to... that is part of it? <gasps> oh, okay. Anyway, it's a yeah, it's a it data profile. Great, and it may or may not have, oh, and it targets like like you can like the farmers dating site where if all you want to date is a farmer, yeah. right? Niche mates helps you identify a specific niche or niche. Wow, to go after. So if there's certain people you want that do certain professions, it, it's a great program. Oh, I'm excited to get to that. Release our new sponsor. <sighs> Um, we'll have all all that fun, but first, let's get to the national headlines. Uh, not everything is joyous uh, in the United States, especially in the South with uh, Hurricane Harvey. The Texas Attorney General says he had received hundreds of reports about price gouging in the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey, which has inundated much of southeastern Texas with deadly flood water this week and displaced thousands. We've seen water up to $99 for a case says Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton. We've seen fuel prices up $20 a gallon. We've seen hotels jack up prices sometimes six, seven times what what they would normally charge. The Attorney General's office warned consumers to be on your guard. And uh, as a statement on his website, price gouging is illegal, and the Office of Attorney General has authority to prosecute any business that engages in price gouging after a disaster has been declared by the governor, the statement read. So you once the governor what? has a statement of emergency yeah. price gouging, there's a different level that they. And you remember we had the it. guy that has like the furniture store that allowed everybody in, made all those beds available to everybody, and gave them all this stuff for free. Right. And meanwhile, some Yahoo is charging wow. quadruple for a room. Remember who does that, folks. Right. Okay, that's good. So yeah. why can they do it when there's like a sporting event or an eclipse? Yeah. That's different. That's the NFL, or that's. Or uh, the great god of the skies. Car services call it surge pricing. Yeah. Well, they say, it's hey, it's a market economy, man. It's a market economy. Right. But it's when they declare an emergency is yeah. when it's it not a market economy right. when you're in an emergency. Right. In other news, the Pentagon announced Wednesday that it has approximately 11,000 troops in Afghanistan. 
about 2,600 more than they officially released what? before. So Hold they it. said before we had about 8,000. Now they're like, well, it's actually more like 11. Somebody can't count. The accounting change said spokesperson Dana White reverses an Obama-era practice that excluded short-duration missions, partial unit deployments, and other elisions? I'm not sure what that means. Uh, with a more accurate total, the current force levels in Afghanistan, Defense Secretary James Mattis will now turn to a decision on troop increase in America's longest war following an August 21st strategic announcement by President Trump with a uh, increase in troops. Huh. So I, I did hear a, a, a nifty stat that uh, we're almost to the point now where we will have people serving in Afghanistan that were born before or after 9-11. So wow. the reason we're there, they were born after that. Still That's there. how long we've been. Well, it's crazy. Remember, Russia was in a war with Afghanistan for yeah decades. decades. Right? Wow. So it's crazy. There's a there, there comes a point where we need a solution. They, the they solution do need to get the, the numbers right because right that was oh, the yeah. big thing with Obama is we're we're only going to have thirty five hundred troops there and then. Yeah. It apparently got up to 8,000, and now it's really 11,000. It's really 11. It just keeps growing. We're having troop creep. Troop creep will happen. It's called mission creep. Yeah, that's, a, that's an official term. Okay. Uh, other news, longtime ESPN football personality Ed Cunningham announced Wednesday that he was resigning his post as one of the network's top color analysts due to an ethical concern over the effects of football on the brain. Cunningham, 48, told the New York Times that his discomfort with the physical damage players sustain on each down prompted his decision. In its current state, there are some real dangers, broken limbs, wear and tear, Cunningham told the, the Times. But the real crux of this is I just don't think the game is safe for the brain. And hmm. he has a problem out there basically promoting this game that's causing head damage. Wow, that's brave. It is. He gave, he basically giving up his job with ESPN, I'm assuming. Yes. And taking a stand against the NFL and brain injuries. Right. I'm and sorry, but if I was being paid to analyze colors, that would be the best job in the world. There's, there's magenta. No, this is oh, different. Oh, that's fuchsia. No, this is different. This is sports yeah. color commentary. Oh. And, of course, the second he announced it, they just grab the next guy and just keep going. Yep. So I don't know what the benefit of his protest will be. but Except, uh, I guess, it. not being complicit. That's character. For him. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Brave. We'll see what happens. In other news, uh, lots of reboots are happening. Oh, good. TV networks are rebooting everything now because I think some people say it's because, one, they're running out of ideas, which I don't know if that's the case. But it's more that they know what people like. Yeah. And let's give them more of that. Like the show Roseanne is coming back. We needed more of that. With Roseanne? Yes. Wow. Yeah. And I think Roseanne's going to be a grandma. Didn't John Goodman say he'd be back? But didn't his character die? Yeah. Don't worry about that. Okay. No, no, no. They're just going to move on. That was just a dream. Yeah. It'll be fine. It was that death dream that we all have. Oh, it'll be fine. <laughs> That's I think too. I don't you think people like crave uh, what's it called um, the the memories nostalgia of nostalgia. They have this yeah. nostalgic, but it's you know, make America great again. It's yeah, absolutely. always disappointing when you try to go back and rewatch some of the shows yeah. that you loved as a kid. They're oh, never yeah. as good. No, not at yeah, all. Yeah, no, I agree. Not at all. So and they even weren't that good then. So Sony Pictures. <laughs> Is preparing to reboot the 1970s cop show Starsky's and Hutch. Oh, I love that. Did you show. love Starsky and Hutch? L- but, but with the real guys? No, the real guys are old. Well, the real guys, guys couldn't slide across the hood like they used to. Right. It's going to be Guardians of the Galaxy screenwriter James Gunn is set to pen the script and potentially direct if he's available. So, so he's going to be Owen Wilson and Ben Stiller like they did in the movie? No, that okay. was probably oh, bad. That's too. a great show. It though. just sounds bad on the surface. Just. 
the names themselves. It's like, ah, it's not going to be good. Starsky um, and Hutch. So the, the sh- apparently the show first premiered in 1975 as a movie of the week on ABC and then later became a series. That's with cool. a, basically a show around a car, which there was a string of through that uh-huh. period of time. Cars were big back then. Let's do a, let's, we could like do a whole show to pay tribute to Starsky and Hutch. Matsky and Clutch. I don't know. Hmm. Oh. Matsky and We'll, we'll workshop Touch. it. We'll figure it out. Uh, other Touch. news. Other news. Sources tell Variety that uh, there's certain elements of uh, you know directors and stuff in talks to co-write and direct an untitled movie centered on the origins of I- Batman's most iconic villain, the Joker. I think you're going to say the ketchup and mustard guy. No. That's Condiment Condiment Man. King or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, but the Joker will get a origin story. Martin Are you okay? Scor- Martin Scorsese is in talks to have some sort of role in the film. Is this exciting? Oh, absolutely. Okay. What? No? I mean, we had the Jack... Was it uh, Jack Nicholson? Back yep. in the yeah. uh, back he, in 1989, Caesar they, Romero yeah, on the but, TV show, but it, but, but it won't be like that. You'll never have another Joker. Well, what's his name was really good, Heath Ledger. He, yeah, that but guy. he didn't have an origin. He had like there was like three different stories. He said during the movie of why he was the way he was. He oh. whereas and Jack Nicholson in his movie he fell off a catwalk into okay, some but, chemicals and turned but really, into the Joker. Who, who could be a better Joker than Nicholson or Ledger? Really, so it's not Caesar Romero, Mark Hamill, yeah. No. Mark Hamill's the voice. It's not going to work. Sorry. Hmm. Sorry. I don't know. They'll figure it out. They're, 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 Heath they're, Ledger they're, was, I think, he put so much fear in that role. He did. He's the only I, one that won an Oscar for that role, although Jack Nicholson was nominated. I like how he says it like he's on Why movie. do you say it like he's that? On, he's on movie phone all of a sudden. <laughs> Coming up this week. That is, um, okay, I guess that's good for some people, that wow. there's an origin story about so a fake. You can't even, like, just... Give me any level of excitement about that. I don't know. I just you don't want to watch a Joker movie. I if Heath Ledger was doing it, yeah. Well, okay, we're not going to get Heath Ledger. Okay, so it's not going to work. With today's technology, though, come on, why can't we? Mm-hmm. Well, because every time they've tried to do it with computers, it looks weird. He Princess was... Leia. Remember the movie? She just sort of popped up. And that wasn't too bad. That was kind of off-putting. Hmm. I was like, wow, she looks. That's weird. What the? What did, what did they do to her? Couldn't oh, wait. they have just shown her back and had her say the line? That would have been fine. Just gotten some other actor to do it. Right. But then there's always that sound like, What? Are you okay? Are you all right? That's what it sounds like. Wow. Did you have an episode of some kind? When they edit your voice and it sounds like it doesn't work. Those are your vocal warm-ups that you do each day before the show. I haven't had a chance to get to it yet. So I'm getting to it now. So you're saying Heath Ledger won't be there? That's right. Okay. He, is, he is otherwise detained. Honestly, that is the only villain that I've really ever cared about. Ooh, no. And the other one that breathes through his mask. Darth Vader? No. Who's the other Batman villain? Oh, Bane. Uh, Bane. Bane. You cared about Bane? No, Bane was good. All right. I thought he was scary. But okay. Heath Ledger, the scariest. All right. All right. And now that we know he's not going to be able to be in that play that, play that role, mm. then we know it's not going to be good. Oh, wow. <sighs> I mean, they haven't even written the script yet. You don't no, even no. know what they're going to bring to the it, table. It, You're already no. saying it's dead on arrival. It won't matter. All right. It won't matter. Okay. Up next, we're going to be talking about self-love experiment. So if you're starting to not uh, like yourself, if you wish you were happier, skinnier, smarter, wealthier, and you're tired of it, 
then you then uh, you know we've got the guests for that uh, that can help us walk through that. We'll also be um, right now. In fact, let's do it right now, Jeff. Let's let's uh, go to commercial by previewing one of our great new sponsors for the Matt Townsend Show, Niche Mates. Here at Niche Mates, we believe there's a match for everyone, even for those with very specific tastes. Case in point. Hi, I'm Tom, number 7009, and I'm a door-to-door door salesman. Now, I know that's not really a unique profession, but I do what I can to stand out from the competition. Uh, For instance, most door-to-door door salesmen will carry a book of door swatches. Uh, But what I do is I bring several full-size doors with me to every doorstep. In fact, I'm making this video on my way to my very first route of the day. Hi, I'm Tom. And I know what you're thinking. Wow, what a beautiful looking door. How much can I pay to acquire such a fine product? Whoa, slow down there, friend. First, let me educate you a little on the history of this chestnut-stained mahogany door. This particular door is of the Swietenia species, found in the Caribbean and Central and South America. Anyway, that's me in a pie nutshell. And uh, I know what you're thinking. If you go on a date with me, yes, I'll open the door for you. And I won't spend the whole night talking about the fabulous redwood, Douglas fir, maple, poplar, pine, and oak doors I have available. Niche Mates. Who says you can't have everything you want in a mate? In our constant quest to be happier, skinnier, smarter, and wealthier, we're living our daily lives based on some notion that we aren't enough just the way we are. We, you know, we, we, we tend to believe we're flawed, that we're, we're not good enough. The fact is that many of us just don't like ourselves as much as we probably should. 90% of women reportedly hate their bodies. Twice as many American women than men are on antidepressants. And studies estimate that 10 million women and girls suffer from eating disorders. And uh, so here to help us understand uh, and to really get involved in what she calls the self-love experiment is Shannon Kaiser. She is a writer and author of uh, many books, has a wonderful website as well, playwiththeworld.com. And she's here to teach us a little bit more about how we can uh, how we can love and appreciate ourselves more. Shannon, thanks for being with us today. Hi, good morning. This is um, it is it seems like a universal kind of issue where so many people don't they just don't like who they are and um talk to us about that what what do you think is behind our dislike of ourselves yes it's so interesting because i think so many of us are walking around i was for many many years feeling unworthy i couldn't look in the mirror and say anything good about myself and i was writing books about happiness and i got to a place where i said how happy can you really be if you don't love yourself? So that was like a really big piece that was missing. And I started to do research and I dove into what I call, started as three months, turned into three years, the self-love experiment on why people don't like themselves. And really there's lots of reasons, but you know, kind of the, the basics is like society will tell us we have to look a certain way. Family has pressure that they put on us, cultural beliefs, uh, really, it's about coming back to yourself. And what the self-love experiment gave me and also teaches readers is that we do belong in a world that's constantly trying to tell us that we're not good enough. 
pretty enough, smart enough, rich enough, whatever it may be, we are enough. Hmm. It, it really is. It's so needed to to kind of love yourself. I mean, it almost seems like the prerequisite of loving others would be to love yourself enough. And and it seems like also the byproduct of loving others could be loving yourself and vice versa. It's one of the things I know you bring up in the book is it's one thing to, to kind of not to be a self-critic. It's another thing to actually start creating patterns that's where we self-sabotage. Talk about mm-hmm. kind of that that cycle we get into where eventually our self-critique turns into self-sabotage. It can actually keep us from really being present in our life. For many, many years it did for me. I would be out to dinner with friends and I couldn't even be present because I was so focused on the next bite I took would put me over my calorie limit or, or whatever it may be. And so I felt very alone. And I think we first need to kind of recognize that it feels very isolating, and I know for me, I felt like I was the only one in the world who didn't like myself, but this is an epidemic that is going on, so it is so important we talk about it. So that's where we have to start. But then recognize the self-sabotaging patterns are often called secondary gains. So Martha Beck, the life coach, also talks about this. Many of us do these habits, and then we actually beat ourselves up for doing them, such as overspending or binge eating or focusing, you know, picking fights for no reason. What we really want to do is ask ourselves, what is it we really want from what we're doing, the habit that's causing us the most pain? For example, if someone's binge eating a lot, perhaps you really want security or you want acceptance. And so the goal, and I take people through a process in the book what I call me matters, is to shift your attention to focus on a more positive way to get that need met. And this is one loving act you can do for yourself at a time. And then you'll start to be more kind towards yourself and everyone else. So you break it down into like specific needs. Um, and then you, you kind of help us build a plan through the process for how to take on that need. Yes, and this is a kind of a step-by-step process. So we really, one of the goals and one of the actual principles in, in the process is to be who you needed to be when you were younger. And I think a lot of us, especially between age seven and nine, something happens. It's just part of growing up where we do something that feels normal, whether, you know, you were the kid who drew pictures and people thought that was really weird because you should be an athlete or whatever it was. Um, When I was little, I loved sugar. So the world teachers, my parents said, don't eat ice cream before dinner or whatever it was. And I was so confused by that as a little eight-year-old that I, I shied away from who I really was. And that caused an eating disorder at a very young age. And as an adult, the goal is to go back to that child who was suffering, who didn't get what she or he needed, and give it that love, give it that attention. And that's one way we can heal and start to really accept ourselves as we are now. That's great. Talk about what are what are some signs? I mean, some of us may not even know we have that big of a uh, you know, a, a self-love problem. What are signs that we might be self-sabotaging? There are so many signs, and sometimes we don't even realize it. And one of the main ones, excuse me, the main ones is, for example, self-doubt. Is your self-doubt in control? Is your fear kind of louder than the love voice? And fear and self-doubt exist in the head, and it could say something as simple as, oh, you should have done better today on your show, or you should have done better, said that to your boss. Gosh, I can't believe you. And it's that inner critic that is constantly trying to tell us, hey, buddy, you're not doing good enough. And it could be as simple as looking in the mirror and and saying something very unkind about yourself. God, I hate that said, or look at my, my hair today. And it's really about the inner voice. And so we want to start there and start to retrain ourselves to be more kind. 
Hmm. And that, accepting of us, yeah. That inner voice, I guess, is the – yeah, it's like the voice of the critic or the – I guess the champion, and and if we love ourselves, um, I, I know a lot of what you talk about is this self love is about kind of beliefs, our ingrained beliefs, the the paradigms that we have. Um, so so what are really? I guess what you're trying to do is shift a really deeply set belief system. Yes, I say, and I, I realized that going on my own self love experiment was. Actually, not the experiment itself, but learning how to love myself, I felt in the beginning was one of the hardest things I ever had to do because we're not trained how to love ourselves. If your parents didn't love themselves, it, they don't know what they don't know. And society isn't really saying you need to love yourself. They're saying you need to be skinnier, you need to be smarter, you need to be richer. And so it is this constant battle where we're really going back and forth. One of the, the main things is that we feel like we're not good enough and we kind of keep reaching for something outside of ourselves. I call it the almost paradise syndrome. When I lose weight, I'll be happier. When, you know, when I fix this thing about myself, then I can, you know, start a family. Or We put our life on hold, and that's really the biggest self-sabotager with a lack of self-love. And it really is about saying, what is it that I want for my life and how can I give myself that now instead of waiting? Because if we're getting really honest with ourselves, a lot of times we get those things. You know, I wanted to lose weight for so many years. That goal number on the scale was the number one thing to make me happy. I got it, and I still didn't like myself. Hmm. And that's when we have to really get honest with ourselves. And is this something that you can – can you be honest with yourself enough um, when uh, – by yourself? Or do you need someone else – to like create the stimulus to to ask the questions like I, I'm I'm thinking that if I'm self sabotaging then I'm probably pretty good in my mind at manipulating my own thoughts and my own beliefs so how does one take on their thinking you know by themselves Yeah, that's a beautiful question. I I truly believe that a part of the self love experiment is really about becoming self aware. And what I went on was an inward journey that was really personal for me. And, you know, there was a turning point for me in my self-love experiment. I had already been kind of working at it. And I was with my mom. And I was, we were having fun just hanging out in her kitchen. And all of a sudden, she mentioned a friend. And they started to, um, something happened within me. I started to cry. A woman in her mid-30s who writes about happiness and coaches people all around the world was crying. And Mm. she looked at me and she said, Shannon, what is the matter? And I said, do you think someone can love me the way that I am. And it was at that moment where I realized that my deepest inner inner belief was coming to the surface. And so we have to look at our beliefs. But what I was really asking is, do you think anyone can love me the way that I am? But what she said next is actually the most important part of the whole process. And this is what will answer your question. She said, I love you. You're amazing. Don't ever say that about yourself. But then she said, the most important thing is that you're happy. And if you're not happy at this body size, then maybe you need to change your body. And so what I recognized is that that is, I had tried to change myself for so many years. And so by me confining in my mom, she was actually, that was a problem for me because it didn't matter what size I was. The problem wasn't how I looked. The problem was how I felt. Mm. And so we can keep leaning on friends and we can keep saying, hey, honey, do you think I'm fat or do do you, you know, and, and address it. But at some point, the answers really are in our heart. The answers really are within ourselves. And so the best thing you can do is, really get clear with becoming your own best friend by being there for yourself. Do And I guess we need 
it, it seems like your mom was there at a perfect time. Obviously, you had a good relationship, a strong relationship. It also seems like, and I don't know if this was true with your mom, that she could have she could have said things when you were younger that you misunderstood or didn't quite get as an eight year old that may have yeah. made it feel more painful. And yet, she also seems to be there at this other moment where you're transitioning. I'm so glad you said that because yes, my mother is one of my best friends, and I think we have to really get honest with sometimes we hear what we need to hear, and or we also hear something that reinforces our insecurity. So as a little child, I saw the way she looked at me or what she said about doing things that, you know, you know, she didn't want me to do. And so when we're little, we often translate things that happen in ways that help create our story. So my story was that I was unlovable, even though I was incredibly loved. I had a great childhood, but I couldn't be loved for who I was or I couldn't be accepted. I was always bullied. So whatever happened in life, I kept feeding that story. So I talk about in my book as well, as adults, how we can rewrite our story to be one of, really be your own hero, be positive and, and be kind to yourself. That's great. Again, we are um, speaking with Shannon Kaiser uh, from the website mindbodygreen.com. And uh, she's also um, teaching us and walking us through the self-love experiment. She's an author and uh, an adventurer. She's written many books. One book is Adventures for Your Soul, 21 Ways to Transform Your Habits and Reach Your Full, your full Potential. Um, talk to us also, Shannon, about I mean, a lot of us, because of this lack of self-love and the sabotaging, we we may go down a road where we've made uh, we we've done some pretty difficult things. Maybe addictions or disorders, drug or eating disorders, or you know, severe depression. And and um, how do we not carry the baggage of those past choices uh, with us today? How do we learn to let go of those heavy, heavy sabotaging? issues? Such an important topic. And I too, I was diagnosed with clinical depression and suffered from eating disorders and drug addictions many, many years ago before I came to the work that I do today. And so the process that I know to work very well, we have to first allow ourselves to recognize that everything really does have a time and place. And it is, this is part of the self-love experiment where we have to recognize that our struggles and the things that either we hate about ourselves or the pain I talk about in part one of the book that there is purpose to the pain. And so the difficult roads lead us to divine destinations. And what this really means is that whatever you're going through is part of a bigger plan. While you're in it, there are ways to understand how to move through it. And if you're already in a place where you're saying, I'm ready to heal, then you're absolutely ready to move forward and and learn why those situations are in your life. A lot of times they show up for many different reasons, unhealed childhood wounds, lack of self-love. The truth is once I really discovered self-love and and really started to appreciate myself and understand that there is a purpose to everything, my addictions, my habits, they really transformed. I no longer suffer from any of what was going on in my 20s. And it's it's a process that you can Mm. take yourself on. And really it's... You almost, I guess, can't expect to do it until until you're ready, until you know, yeah. till the student mm-hmm. appears, right? Till the the teacher yeah. won't appear. Yeah, and I talk about that in the book too, because I actually went on my own self love experiment, and I was trying so hard to be ready before, uh, before. So that's why the three months turned into three years, really, because a lot of times when you're ready, 
it's easy. Think about that time when you had that New Year's resolution, and then five years later, it's the same New Year's resolution, right? Yeah. You're still trying to make the same thing. Whereas other times, you were able to quit smoking right away without any help from anyone, or you were able to start saving for that house you really wanted. Whatever it is, we are ready, and it will happen, and the universe will really give you everything you need to make it happen when it's truly ready. So the goal and the trick is to not beat yourself up if you're not ready. Just be exactly where you are and start to train your brain to say, you know what, for today, we did the best we could, and tomorrow we're going to do better. Is that a technique we use, I mean, ineffective as it is, that we think somehow guilting or shaming ourselves might uh, somehow induce us to be more ready to make the change? But you're saying if you're not ready, quit applying the pressure. You're just going to break. Well, that's the key point, the pressure. Take off the pressure, and yes, the guilt and shame – And I talk about as well in the self-love experiment, the problems that we have, we feel the biggest problem is that we think they're the problem. So it causes more guilt. It causes more shame. When we allow ourselves to take off the pressure, it doesn't mean we're giving up and saying, oh, screw it. I just won't try. It's just saying we're taking off the mental pressure and we're still going to show up. We're still going to make healthy choices to the best of our ability, but really the emotional burden we put on ourselves is the most detrimental thing in our healing process. So I really practice removing that guilt and shame by turning to compassion and love. That's it. That's the self-love experiment. Let's take a break and and come back, Shannon. We'll have more as we talk about the self-love experiment, a book by uh, Shannon Kaiser, uh, 15 Principles for Becoming Your More Kind, Compassionate, and Accepting of Yourself. How powerful is that? Um, To even just be able to recognize, no, there is obviously a change I need to make. I'm not there yet, and I want to try not to create too much pressure that might drive me into a deeper hole and and instead maybe prepare, gain more strength to be able to take on the battle. More with Shannon Kaiser. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We do what we can on the program to help you uh, see and be the good in the world. We'll continue the journey. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. The name of the book is The Self-Love Experiment, 15 Principles for Becoming More Kind, Compassionate, and Accepting of Yourself. It uh, is written by Shannon Kaiser, who has written many other books. And uh, you can find more information about Shannon at the website playwiththeworld.com or also mindbodygreen.com. Shannon, again, thank you for your time. Thanks for being with us. Great insight. Yeah, thank you. It's great being here. So when I look at... um, you know, this this self-love, I mean, a lot of people think, oh, it's just so selfish. But mm-hmm. the reality is, is you're the only you you've got, right? And if our if our thought process is always leading us back to how deficient we are, how pathetic we are, how weak we are, then really what we bring the world is deficiency and weakness. And so how do we, I mean, I guess this is, this is a process. Like you said, it, it takes a while and it's, it really almost seems like a very personal battle with some of your biggest demons. 
Yes, self-love, I think that's the thing. You know, we hear the word self-love, and that's why, one, it's called a self-love experiment. When we start to approach it as an experiment, and really, maybe we should be approaching life as an experiment and just trying new things, because a lot of times we have expectations. I have to, you know, reach self-love. I have to lose weight, whatever the goal is. And when we fall off the wagon or whatever it may be, we put so much pressure on ourselves. And so first looking at the fact that maybe we think self-love is selfish and it sounds a little hippy-dippy and it's a word we hear a lot now and it's a little bit like, oh, and I used to think that too. It's really good for them. Okay, they can have it. But I can't even look in the mirror and say something nice about myself. Are you kidding? Self-love is such a concept I'm not ready to get on board with. But I believe self-love is already within us. And I got to a point in my own life where I said, oh, my gosh, there is so much suffering and pain in the world. And we can actually choose to say, oh, how dare I take care of myself or show up when there's so much going on? Or I got to a place where I said, by learning how to love myself is actually the best thing I can do in the world because it's raising the vibration on the planet. It's making one less negative person on the planet. And therefore, I'm adding more love. And what I learned, this was transformational for me because what I learned is when I truly do love myself, I am so much more grateful and helpful to everyone else around me. Because like you said, when your cup's full, you can actually help others in a more profound way. Hmm. So really, it's the greatest thing we can do to be here on earth is to love ourselves. That's so true. And really, really I mean, in any, in any way you look at it, you work you, you change you, you've changed, like just how you said that, one more person on the earth that can be positive and can yeah. vibrate more positivity. I mean, that's going to have endless repercussions. Yeah, and I think we make smarter, healthier, happier choices too from a loving place when we are from in a place of self-compassion, you know? And so it really does extend out. We become more generous, we become more peaceful. It's, it's a beautiful journey you can go on. I know in the book you mentioned um, you bring in a lot of solutions, a lot of tools that work to help you kind of get back to the self-love. What are some of your favorite tools or the ones that made the biggest impact on you? Yeah, so as as the experiment goes, I actually, I'm a writer, of course, so I have a lot of journal prompts. In fact, at the very end of the book, every question I ask in the book, I put in a list so you can actually go deeper into your own free write, if you will. And some of my favorite tools are actually letters to yourself. So there's a couple different layers of this. One of the things that I did that really helped me was write a letter to my pain point, the part of me that I don't understand, my overweight belly, the flaw that I don't like. I did this when I was suffering from depression too. I said, depression, why are you here in my life? I don't understand. I don't know how to be happy. All I can be is stuck in you. What are you here to teach me? And through this experience of going inward and just asking the questions, instead of saying, oh, I'm stuck, I started to ask a better question, and my depression revealed you're not being true to yourself. You don't want to be in this career. You don't want to live here. You want to be a writer. Follow your heart. And so that was my directive. And the same thing I did with my self-love experiment. I said, overweight body, I've tried to lose weight. I don't understand why you're here. Flaws, what are you here to teach me? And I said, I'm here to show you that you can love yourself no matter what. It's not about how you look. It's about how you live. And so give yourself permission to to go into those points. And then in a little lighter way is to, you know, write a letter to your future self, the part of you that might have it figured out or who's happy and healthy. Say, dear future me, what message do you have for me? And these are fun, kind of playful ways to really allow yourself to be more in the journey. 
is powerful because, too, like you said, we already know somewhere inside of us. We know what the answer is. We just kind of build level upon level of delusion and mm-hmm. and lie or illusion around it. So uh, those – boy, the, those writing assignments allow you to to have to kind of deal with it. And then, then I guess once you know, for example, you realize you're not being true to yourself about being a writer, then you have to, I guess, garner the strength to – overcome the fear of, of mm-hmm. risking it. Yeah, I think courage plays a really big part in every part of our life. And so it does come back to how, how much do we really want to settle and stay in our comfort zone? Because once I recognize that, I could have easily said, okay, I know that. I'm going to stay stuck in advertising. I'm going to stay you know, stuck in this life that I don't like. But what I did and what I, I find with many of my life coaching clients, too, is once they identify it, it becomes this force within, almost like, you know, if you're a superhero, you find your, your, your amazing superpower, it becomes motivation. It becomes, I can't not live any other way now. And that's what happened when I discovered I need to be a writer. All of my energy started to turn into, this is what I was put on earth to do. And so I think it actually becomes, the fear goes away because you're so charged up by your, your passion and your purpose. Mm. Well, and I get that, so yeah, that, then it then it reinvigorates you. So your your self love, like you were saying, does give you the power and the courage to take the next step and the next step. Um, plus, I imagine that your once you love yourself more, it seems like if you believe in a higher power, you can you can relate differently to that that higher power. If you believe just in nature, you can relate differently to nature or to anything that's more valuable to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Your relationships become much more in-depth and you really do feel more close to everyone around you. Yeah, I guess more able to to be vulnerable, to risk. I mean, th- those questions yeah. you were saying to your mom were amazing and powerful, which facilitated the ability, it seems like, for you to kind of transcend your sabotage. A lot of us have a hard time even becoming or getting that intimate with somebody, being that real. I think that's the point, too. The self-love experiment gives us permission to explore, and it gives us permission to be us. And being us means I'm going to ask the questions I've never asked before. I'm going to go deeper into my own heart and, and really be aware of maybe why I've been doing what I'm doing without judgment, without criticism, but just kind of like, you know, like a scientist who's working on a science experiment. They have different options they try. And one works, one doesn't, and they say, okay, well, this is a process. I'm going to keep going. Hmm. Good stuff. What, um, I guess, as, we, as we're wrapping up, I always like to know, like, the one thing, the one thing that, you know, every one of us could do today that would, would immediately get us into the self-love experiment, I guess, uh, other than obviously buying the book. But what, <laughs> what, what's something we can do today? that would would immediately kind of invigorate us or at least open us up to take the next step of self-love? Absolutely. The very first thing I would say is to really start to be aware of the inner critic that's in your mind by addressing yourself in a more kind way. So this starts the minute you wake up and the minute even before you go to bed. Instead of going through a list of all the things you didn't do today or waking up and say, I have to do this, oh my gosh, and having that stressful voice lead you, say, I am so grateful. So it really is about appreciation and acceptance for what is and start to say, I'm so grateful for my furry friend I get to hug next to me or my significant other or start to focus on what is going well. Take your attention off the things you hate, the things that aren't going well. Focus for the next 48 hours. Let's do this. 
48 hours straight, just give all your attention to what you appreciate, what is going well. And this could be at your job. This could be about your body. This could be about your life, your environment. And then watch how your life transforms. And that'll be a good introduction to the self-love experiment. Powerful stuff. Shannon Kaiser, thank you so much for your insight, for your work. The name of the book, The Self-Love Experiment, 15 Principles for Becoming More Kind, Compassionate, and Accepting of Yourself. You can find more on uh, Shannon Kaiser and her work at her website, playwiththeworld.com, and where you can also find information about all of her books, all of her writings, her blog, her offerings, wonderful stuff. Ah, power. There's power, isn't there? In uh, just simple questioning of yourself without the critic beating you up with a club over your head. It, it doesn't work. It just wears you down. And to start with a little gratitude seems to be a perfect place to start. We'll continue this journey, folks. Our goal is to help you get a leg up in life and to hopefully help all of us see each other differently and be able to truly have self-love. We'll continue the journey up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Yes, it's time, folks. Uh, at this uh, juncture in the show, we always like to do a little empty news for you to learn from the headlines. The MT News Team, first on the scene, fifth on facts. <laughs> that darn apple just shows up everywhere. A little bite out of the apple, I'm telling you. Hey, uh, G- <clears throat> Jeff? Yes? You, you're always eating an apple. What's that about? Okay. Can't say the word. A-P-P-L-E. <laughs> um, so uh, give, us, give us the headlines. Apparently, you know, parking so, cars hard. Well, we'll get to that. But first thing, you probably don't want to tick off police officers when you, you know, you don't want to continue to irk them on after you've already upset them. Yeah, you know? once they're upset, just it's time to just give up. I made the mistake one time. I was at a bonfire and a cop showed up and said, you guys can't have a bonfire here because we were burning pallets. So there are all these nails that would, you know, it was Idaho. The cops didn't have much to do. Right. Well, and, it, so, you know, you were, it wasn't your property. It was he, in the back of some other company. It was in the sand dunes. So oh. he showed up and said, all right, who started this fire? And I could not resist myself. And I said, we didn't start the fire. We didn't start the fire. <laughs> and That's he said, great. very funny. Lucky, luckily, nothing happened and it ended there. But uh, apparently, there's this uh, party in Shippensburg, Pennsylvania. And uh, this police officer didn't think their choice in music was funny. So he showed up uh, just after midnight after receiving a report of loud music and a loud group of people. And the officer warned the renter of the property, Daniel Zerpak. 21 to keep the noise under control and began to leave the area. But that's when the warning turned into a citation, police said. Just as the officer was driving away, Zerpak put on this theme song. Uh oh. Yes. Busted. And he intentionally raised the volume to an excess level. Zerpak. So. Serpak was cited for a noise violation. Yeah. So then that transformed into this. Oh, boy. Yeah. 
And then uh, real quickly also, there's a 25-year-old Orlando man who was arrested on a DUI charge after he struck 17 parked <laughs> vehicles at an apartment complex. <laughs> so, so close. It makes sense that they that they arrested him on DUI charges. That's oh. I don't know anybody that would do that sort of thing he not intoxicated. Yeah. So they were called to the apartments for a report of reckless driver. Or a reckless driver trooper said the guy was uh, driving a blue 2003 Chevrolet Blazer and struck 17 vehicles in eight different crashes oh, as he boy. just kept trying to park his SUV. Well, I mean, I know it's difficult, but come on, <laughs> it's so hard to park an SUV though. You're just so it's, you're so up in the air. I don't know. Well, we're learning, folks. Learning from the mistakes of others. <laughs> learning how to uh, just get along with one another. We will continue the journey up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Back at it, folks. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, hour number three of the program. If you have missed the first two hours, you will want to go look those up. Uh, Life changers. We learned about Jeff almost getting arrested. That's right. And lipping off to a cop when they were having a bonfire. And he's like, you can't have a bonfire. Let's reenact it. Okay, no, no. He walked up and asked who started this Yeah, fire. yeah, I'll get to that. But they okay. were having a bonfire, and really it was a place you can't have a bonfire. And the cop comes up and says, who started this fire? And I started to chuckle within myself, and I couldn't help myself and said, we didn't start the fire. <laughs> and then they tased him and just cooked him like a turkey. Taze it. Lose the lip, pal. Did the cop? <laughs> is that what the cop said to you? I don't know that we weren't supposed to be having a fire there. I think it was more we were burning pallets and there were nails. And so he wanted us to come back in the morning and pick up the nails. And I think some of the kids actually did come back. Oh, the good kids came back. Yeah. You were actually trying to fight off a taser burn. <laughs> yeah, I was still hard. twitching the next morning. I was never really into bonfires growing up. Well, because you didn't like to bond. Yeah, to bond. What? De bond. De bond. Did I say de bond? No. Oh, the James Bond. De bond. I uh, got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking, and Terry's the one that brings this up. He says, "In fact, he said it just yesterday." Man, I don't have enough. I don't talk enough to my wife. We don't have enough of these couples meetings. We don't share our feelings enough. If no, only we talk we, all the time. If only we had she a... She just me- texted me. She's stuck in traffic. It's mm, not what you were saying yesterday. Oh. If only we had a mechanism to sit and speak and have a meeting with each other. So today we will be revisiting an interview we did uh, no, no. on marriage meetings for lasting love. How to have a regular meeting with your spouse where you can get out, air out the dirty laundry. See, my problem... There's not a night that works. Do it in the morning then. Well, I'm not, I'm not home in the morning. I'm here. Do it in the afternoon. Wake up earlier. She's not home in the afternoon. Teleconference. Do a teleconference couples meeting. She's busy at work. every fourth. She's trying Thursday. to save the world. I'm fighting kids. It's different. Let's just do it once a week on the show. Great 
point. On her way to the work. She when does she have in. a lunch break? And she we'll... could call in because she's driving during the show. Yeah. And we could have a little marriage conference. Let's do it. No, I don't think so. Starting next. Hey, he's offering you free marriage counseling. Do you know what people pay me for this? Dollars. Yeah. They pay me dollars for this. Yeah. Okay. I figured it was dollars and not some, some sort of a bartering system. Well, no. One person gave me a – Do you take Bitcoin? Uh, I, no, but I took a pellet Chickens. yesterday. Whopper coin? There's a new, there's a new cryptocurrency called Whopper coin. Well, Whopper coin is what, is what you get if you um, have been laid off. You get a Whopper coin. Right. That's right. Do you take chickens or cows? Like, are you an? Ooh, barter. And how would yeah. you value yourself? Do you think you're an eight cow therapist? Mm-hmm. Oh, easily, easily. So I, I've actually had a person, and this is totally true, and we, I didn't take the deal, but he said, if you save my marriage, I will give you a house. Really? Yeah. And but you I'm, didn't take him up on it. No, no, that's not ethical. Really? I said, I'll take your car, not your house. Houses. No, I just said no. What are you uh, driving there? A Vespa? Or not a what is that? not a Vespa? A Tesla. A, uh, Tesla. <laughs> I'll take your Tesla in a second. No, so but people are that desperate to make stuff work, but that's not how. It's not. You don't barter your marriage, right? You gotta. I just said you no. used to. It'll be a lot cheaper than your house. You just have to do some things that we tell you to do. You just got to learn to communicate. And today, we're giving everybody a chance to learn about how to hold a marriage meeting. I have my own version of this that I've done for about 15 years, and it is – they're amazing for – with my clients, it's one of the great things that saves their marriage. Then you can vent. It's like Tupperware. Hmm. You need to burp your Tupperware. Yes, this is key. And if you get the, if you get the extra air out, then there's not as much pressure. Just hmm. a little burp. You just can't bury hmm. your feelings and move on like no. it didn't happen? No. I don't know. There's some – I think there's something to be said for that approach. Not really. That's that is actually the mantra of the divorce club. I think we'll just agree to disagree on that. Okay. I don't agree to that. Yeah, I didn't agree either. Oh, I'm dis I'm disagreeing to disagree. Wow. Yeah, is it's that possible. It's getting ugly. Hmm. We'll get to all of that uh, straight ahead. Marriage meetings that uh, will help you create lasting love. Also, some empty news. We have a few more. <laughs> empty news stories for you. Um, And by the way, we'll be visiting with our good brethren from BYU Sports Nation. Mm. They're on the verge of of the big game against Brigham Young University, BYU against LSU. They're gearing up before they break down? Yeah, and take off. I mean, they all but admitted that BYU is going to lose. Hey, 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 don't use those words. Negative Nelly? Don't use those words. Their words, not mine. I don't think they said lose. I think they said they this said would be wouldn't a... it basically wouldn't it be a miracle if they won? I think they said this is going to be a learning experience. <laughs> and by the way, BYU. Just so you know, you can look for it out on the road because our good friend, um, our good trucker friend Bass. Bass is on the way to Kentucky, but BYU's truck left, I think, yesterday. With the equipment. With all the equipment. All the football pads. And it's on its way. Extra footballs. To Nolens. Athletic tape. Thanks. Got it. <laughs> I'm just saying, what's in I the don't truck? need an inventory of what's in the truck. <laughs> it's a big truck. It's a huge truck. It's and, not even a like looking the, truck. It's not even the BYU TV HD truck. No, that's another truck. That one won't be making the trip because it's on, yeah. you know, they don't, don't need, need the HD truck this time around. No. It'll be covering like Did you want to do an inventory of the HD truck? No, but there's lots of cables. Okay, good. Let's not go there. Uh, So um, (laughs) 
We'll find out what's going on with BYU Sports Nation, of course. Also, do a little hero story and some more empty news. But first, we must get and and really understand what's going on again in uh, Houston and now Louisiana. Talk to us. Energy Secretary Rick Perry has tapped the nation's energy stock oil stockpile in response to fuel shortages caused by Hurricane Harvey. The Energy Department announced on Thursday the decision to draw down half a million barrels of crude oil from a strategic petroleum reserve site in Louisiana as part of an emergency exchange with Phillips 66 at the company's refinery in Lake Charles, Louisiana. About 40% of the refining capacity along the Gulf Coast about a fifth of the nation's entire capacity has been knocked out by flooding and other damage, and the storm has also made it difficult in some cases for crude oil to arrive on shore. The topping the reserve represents a small fraction of the nearly 700 million barrels that sit in four sites split between Texas and Louisiana. Uh, so it's just sitting there. They can't get it out. So this is helping to... In that area, you need the fuel for boats and yeah. rescues and all that, and they can't run out of fuel or everything stops. But so isn't that the to, refinery? This this is the fuel the rest of us need too, though, right? Well, it helps the rest of the nation out too to kind of keep prices from skyrocketing because oh, of the... Oh, boy. It uh, says uh, Perry's decision to use the stockpiles nonetheless stands out because uh, he and President Trump have promised to reduce the reserve by half. Okay, hmm. we, we need it, but they want to cut it. So yeah. I think I think uh, they might change their mind. A real life experience may cause a reassessment. Yeah. Well, of you would sure priorities. hope so. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens there. The uh, chemical plant that exploded last night just around the Houston area. Yeah, um, it was chemicals, and there was a notice that went out from the uh, the uh, the play of uh, the the guy in charge, the guy that runs the facility, saying that there's no way they could stop this from exploding. Now they're saying there's eight more containers on site that possibly could explode, also full of these chemicals wow. that they use. Holy cow! A peroxide like by the material, way, so. fire and water. Yes, this is the end. Well, I mean, of it's that plant. That plant, yeah, that plant's hmm. not going to be there anymore. Did you have a different thought in mind? No. Okay. U.S. Education Department easing financial aid rules and procedures for those affected by Hurricane Harvey. The department is encouraging students whose financial needs have been altered by the storm to contact their school's financial aid office. The agency said in a statement that colleges and career schools will be allowed to use professional judgment to adjust a student's financial information in the aftermath of Harvey. You have student uh, okay. debt, you can't pay it, they're going to you know, give you some allotments. As you I know, try that's to... kind of a weird phrase, professional judgment. Yeah, it's We're going to leave it up to the professional we'll judgment. On Wednesday, the Food and Drug Administration approved a revolutionary new type of cancer treatment that genetically modifies the body's own cells. The treatment, known as CAR-T therapy, is the first type of gene therapy approved in the U.S. and will be used to attack one of the most common childhood cancers, acute lymphoblastic le- uh, leukemia. The FDA uh, announced yesterday new technologies such as gene and cell therapies hold the potential to transform medicine and create an infection, an inflection point in our ability to treat and even cure many intractable diseases. Gene therapy is very expensive. One round costs six hundred fifty thousand dollars. So they're they're looking like Medicare, Medicaid, see if they can figure out some sort of a, you know, pricing help somehow <laughs> trials of the drug rates have shown a success rate with more than 80 percent of the 63 patients who tried the drug getting their cancer into remission researchers are hopeful they can test it on other forms of cancers of, as well but note that there's still a lot of work to be done wow so, more cancer treatments maybe we'll figure it out they're okay. using the body's cells to attack cancer i know i love that that's that's pretty cutting edge a uh, owner of an alligator sanctuary east of Houston worries that his 350 giant reptiles could slip over fences and escape if the flooding continues in his area. Oh, great. He has the proper fences up. 
Yeah. But the water's getting high enough that they can just climb right over. Oh. He's, he's got some uh, some some big big lizards in there. He said, we work around the clock. I don't know what else we can do. We're tired. Everyone's at the end of it. And he says his two largest ones, Big Al and Big Tex, <laughs> are in trailers. Yeah, so they're, they're not safe, going anywhere. But it's the other ones he was worried about. The staff and management of BYU Radio do not condone the housing and boarding of alligators or any other illegally acquired reptiles in any private domicile. Right. We're very pro-alligator. This was a sanctuary. Yeah. They're helping the illegals that get – the illegal alligators <laughs> that get out. They go yeah. grab them. So. It's, it's, uh, it's all fun and games until they're just like swimming over the top of the fence. That's and right. And then they end up at your pool party. So this is an announcement for everyone who's excited about the college football season. Which, yeah. Which is really everybody, gets really. underway tonight. There was a few games last week, but really those were just warm-ups. People were just getting their hamstrings set and they're getting – stretching and just making sure they figure out the plays, you know, maybe learn the names of the offensive linemen. Maybe that was going on. But tonight it starts. Tonight it officially starts. So ESPN has Ohio State and Indiana, the first Thursday night game of the year. They're going to relaunch their megacast. Remember what a megacast was? We talked about this before. Yeah, that's where, yeah, you can do online, you can go to sites, you can watch four shows, right? Four right. games. and So during last year's Clemson-Alabama title game, you could have watched it on six cable channels and several variations on the internet. They'll have a, they're calling it a skinny megacast, so not as many options as the title <laughs> game, yeah. but several options, including my favorite, which is the coach's film room. If you remember yeah. last year, yeah. Kalani Sataki was right. in there, except he barely spoke, yeah. it seemed like. He, he was, was saving his words. Right, he's saving his words for the key moments. So they'll have the film room, which I, I like because it's like it's like on the you get a DVD, you're watching a movie, and you have the commentary track, yeah, yeah. which is very interesting. Listen to the actors and directors. This is other coaches watching on on film, or watching TV, and like giving you their opinion on what they would do, what they think the, the other coaches are going to do. Right. But a game, not like an episode of Gilmore Girls. No, 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 right? This okay. will be live as they're doing this. <laughs> okay. They stop, rewind plays, and Nothing show you Nothing wrong with Gilmore Girls. Kind of Nothing right. wrong with Right, right. right. Uh, there'll also be a Homer broadcast on ESPNU for all the Indiana fans because uh, the theory is that Ohio State's just going to beat them horribly bad tonight. Yeah. And so the main broadcast will be all about Ohio State, which it normally would be. Sure, sure. And then so if you want, if you're an Indiana fan, you go to ESPNU, and it's all about Indiana and what, how why they're down by forty. No, hold whatever. on. Why why they why do they call it the Homer? Because it the Iliad, the Odyssey. No Homer meaning. Oh, the, home, 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 home Homer. advantage. No, the idea that the broadcasters are going to talk a lot about Indiana and favor uh, okay. Indiana that I they see. normally wouldn't do in the national see, broadcast. Yeah, you're talking, you're talking ESPN cares. jargon. Did not know that. Well, it's, it's a sports. sports. People, no! get, people get mad when they watch a broadcast and yeah. you hear the, the play-by-play guy and he sounds like he's favoring the yeah. other team. You're such really? a homer for those guys. Homer. Okay. I've never heard that phrase. That's great. Really? See, we're learning. You this watch is, sports sometimes, I do. Right? I, I watch it all the time. I just... They're also debuting an all-22 broadcast where viewers can see the entire field from above, from the end zone to end zone. So oh, if you want to sit there cool. and watch yeah. the whole thing, yeah. I don't know why you'd Do they have anybody it. sitting on... In like a hot tub like a, or on a couch? They always no. have that special seat. They might. I don't know. Because I think like, that'd be great. There's a sky cam, so on the, the camera that's on like the zip line. Yeah. So you can watch oh, those that. those are cool. It'll yeah. make you sick. Uh, a data center, so like Bloomberg uh, market, you know, stock yeah. market TV where just the whole screen is like just overflowing with information. Cool. They'll have one channel of that mm. if you want to give yourself a seizure, I guess. exciting. And uh, – yeah, so I love all that. You'll have a command center, so you can sit there and watch split screen with simultaneous multi-camera views. I mean, I think there's just way too much going on, but it'll be fun to flip around if the game gets boring. And 
And then I'll watch something else because I don't really care. And we learned about Homer. Well, I being a Homer. Yeah, being a Homer. Yeah. Not Homer. Not like the, the character or the, no! the Odyssey or whatever. The, yeah. yeah. No, I, I get it. It's a new term. No, I'm with you. Yeah. Highly trained professional. You yell at refs. You've told me you go to your son's basketball game yeah. and, and you yell at refs sometimes. Totally. I don't yell at them. I just I encourage them to make better choices. Right. Because you think they're favoring <laughs> the other team. Oh, they're yeah. a homer for the other team. <gasps> That's a Okay. That's right? a good strategy. Go. Maybe yeah. cheering on the ump. Come on, ump. You can start making better calls. You're not that dysfunctional. Yeah, that wouldn't turn You're out You're not badly blind. We believe in you. <laughs> That'll work. Hey, I got great news. This is important because Jeff was worried about this the other day. Um, you, you do not get warts from touching a toad. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You can't catch them. You don't get warts from toad touching. As sci-fi show, sci show. Toes or toad? Toads. Okay. Did I say toes? I, I can't tell. As you may si- have said totes. I don't know. Yeah, or totes. You, you do get them from touching certain totes. Ooh, if you touch a dirty tote, oh. watch out. That's why mama said, wash your tote. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to spread the germs. Uh, anyway, um, SciShow host Michael Aranda explains in a video um, that you can find on YouTube that the bumps uh, of a wart are really caused by the human papillo- papillomavirus, mm. okay? which, by the way, can also eventually cause cervical cancer and other health problems. That's the HPV virus, right? But mm-hmm. So once it penetrates your skin on the top layer, that's what creates – and it could, by the way, do it through a scratch, through a cut. Really? Uh-huh. Through that's why you got to take care of your nails and your you don't want a lot of opening you know cuts on your hand because that's why I wear a full body suit everywhere. No, I know I go. that's that blue man suit you wear. It's incredible. Um, so it's, it has nothing to do with a frog or a toad. You know, you, you might get grossed out by touching a toad. Yeah, but uh, the virus is really not going to to come that way. It is from skin to skin contact with somebody who has the HPV virus. And um, and then they get it to you through like using their towel mm. or by the way, Ooh. this is why you're supposed to wear shoes or flip flops when you go to the gym shower. Right. Right. You just want you so don't sh- want everyone else's goo. Shouldn't keep rubbing my nose on on towels to. No. OK. No. Avoid that. Yeah. That's a yeah. good health tip. So I just thought I thought it'd be important that we share that with you guys. Warts don't come from toads. No. So, by, by the way, which is important because in Houston, toads are everywhere. Apparently, yes. They're floating everywhere. Bah! Can you imagine, A, what's in the water, but B, don't eat the fish that you catch in your living room. Yesterday, listening to a podcast, <laughs> right, and they, they were interviewing a woman who was living in Houston who has chosen to stay in her home. Yeah. The floodwaters in her road are like, she says they're, the road's flooded. It's halfway up her front lawn. Uh, and she's standing there. The entire street is evacuated, but her and her family have decided to stay. Stay. And she's like, am I making the right decision? She goes, nobody can make that decision for no, you no. but you. Yeah. Her house isn't flooded no. yet. They're not planning on looting everybody else's home, are they? No. That's okay. the other thing. I guess you'd have to – now you're just out there on the range. While the interviewer's on the phone with her, she starts – she goes, hold on a second. And starts yelling out in the street because a guy in a boat floats by and yells, hey, do you guys need help? She goes, no, we're deciding to stay. What mm. happens if we change our mind? Who do we call? And the guy's like, yells 911 or something. And she's like, okay, thanks. And then she goes, that's it. 
We've made our decision. We're staying. Wow. Holy cow. It's <laughs> crazy. And you don't want to leave your – because then your house would get looted or who knows what would happen. And that's the thing. It's her dream house. Oh. They put all this money in. They built this home that they – she says it's the greatest house she's ever lived in and they don't want to leave it. But now they need – their cars won't work because they can't get them out and now they need a boat. But yeah. they can't do anything about it. I mean no. if the waters get higher, it's not like they can say, all right, now we can spring yeah. into action. And get, There's nothing you can do. And I bet they're not going to be pumping the water out, right? They're just going to let, let a it lot proceed. of it evaporate. There's nowhere and, for yeah. it to go if they right. do. So yeah. she's in for a long ride. It was just crazy to listen to that and listen to her account. Like she's, You could hear her going through as she's saying we've made this decision doubting the decision she just made. <sighs> but yeah, what do you do? Yeah. It's never too late. They that's why. Now. That's why it's good to have a lot of kids. You could just leave some of the kids there. Just leave them, and you go stay at a Ramada Inn. You're a monster. Okay, no need to be rude. All right. Uh, up next, uh, it's time, folks, to take care of your marriage. Marriage meetings for lasting love. We'll be revisiting an interview with Marsha Naomi Berger. Up next, this is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Did you know that the average couple spends as few as four minutes a day talking with each other? No wonder it can be so hard to figure out what your partner is actually thinking or what they want. After being married for a while, couples can get used to finishing each other's sentences uh, and then, you know, you know, forgetting to actually talk to one another. Small details like simple conversations get lost in everyday to-do lists and in the shuffling of the children back and forth. Today, licensed uh, uh, clinical social worker and psychotherapist Naomi Berger um, is, is going to uh, – we're going to replay an interview that she did on her book marriage meetings for lasting love. She's going to tell us how couples can conduct a weekly gentle conversation that increases intimacy, romance, teamwork, and smoother resolution to their conflicts. I start the interview asking Naomi where she came up with the idea for a 30-minute marriage meeting. Oh, okay. It was a, a gradual process that turned into a book, kind of an organic process. When my husband and I first got married over 28 years ago, even though I was already an established couple and family therapist who was teaching other therapists how to do couple and family therapy, when I got married, it was still like a new experience because you're not objective when it's your own situation. So I knew I had things to learn. Right. And my husband and I learned about a class for couples called Time for a Better Marriage. We were getting along okay. It wasn't like a big crisis. It was just like, let's learn. And um, we were the only couple in Marin County that signed up for the class. So Hmm. I used to joke um, we were the only ones that had room to grow. (laughs) And um, it was a very nice class. This wonderful woman taught it just for the two of us. It was about eight weeks. About five minutes or less was devoted to the idea of having a weekly marriage meeting with a four-part agenda. Hmm. And... That was the one thing that we took from the class that we kept doing. And as we did it, we refined it. And eventually, we, um, I ended up giving seminars to other people and teaching my clients how to have marriage meetings and writing articles, and it evolved into the book. 
That's it took years, you know, from the beginning until the book actually came out. Well, it's it's interesting. I, I do a lot of uh, communication coaching, relationship coaching with couples where we teach them to talk and resolve problems. And where we found they have the biggest impact is once they've learned the skills and you teach them how to do an agenda that's pretty fulfilling, you turn them to each other and they start just naturally improving their systems, their their life. Exactly, and that's the value of the weekly marriage meeting. You get practice, practice, and more practice in using the skills. Um, and I have outlined them step-by-step step in the book. And we find that, uh, as my husband and I found at the beginning, the meeting could take a long time if you were going to put all your backed-up stuff into it. Right. Like finish business, that's a common way of describing it. Um, but that's not productive to try to do everything at once. So we say eliminate um, anything that's going to take more than 45 minutes for the whole meeting. Yeah. And um, as you get used to having them, you can often do them in 30 minutes or less. Does Does anybody ever push back on you, Naomi, and say, you know, we're not a business. We don't need to formally sit down and have a meeting. We could just talk about it whenever. Yeah, and when is whenever going to happen? Right. That's the problem, Television, huh? Television, books, uh, <laughs> business concerns. So There's so many distractions. Uh, th- that's why, uh, you know, as you mentioned, that uh, this dismal statistic where the average couple spends four minutes a week conversing. <laughs> That's crazy. Four minutes a day now. I can't remember yeah, which it was. <laughs> it was four minutes a day uh, minutes talking a day. to each other. Yeah. And yeah. It, there's issues. Things come up. And if we can't talk about it, then I guess we just have to make assumptions. We just assume stuff's happening. Or, or sweep it under the rug mm-hmm. until and so, it uh, comes uh, back to haunt us. What do you do if if you are somebody who who would like to hold these meetings but you can't get buy-in from your spouse? Yeah, that's a very common objection. Now, sometimes the person who says, my partner won't do it, has their own reservations about doing it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But let's assume that um, one is into the idea 100% and the other is kind of uh, not really sure or or resistant. And then we try to look into why. And a common fear is that the person is going to get criticized by his spouse or long laundry list of uh, to-do things, what about this and that and that, and that could feel overwhelming and actually frightening. Uh, So it's important to make sure that the initial meeting, once you, and I'll talk about how you might secure Mm -hmm. agreement to have an initial meeting, but it should be focused heavily on appreciation and really um, nothing too heavy discussed. Just get used to the idea of having the meetings until you get comfortable with the meetings, because it is an artificial structure, like you say, and people might say, oh, it's not romantic. But what really happens is that once people get used to them and use the communication skills effectively and follow the agenda, there's more intimacy, there's more romance, and there is a um, better teamwork and smoother resolution of the challenges. Now, let's say... uh, it's not always the husband, sometimes it's the wife, but typically women are more verbal, so more open to talking. And um, one thing a wife can say to her husband is, I'm not asking for a lot, you know, let's just try it one time. Yeah. Not, not yeah. in this for life. Let's try it one time, especially maybe the husband wants something like, I want to go to this particular uh, event with you, and maybe you don't want to go. Say, okay, let's, let's make a deal. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll go to that. You have 
one little marriage begins with, yeah. you know, and then you make it a really, really nice experience. Think of everything you, because the first agenda item is appreciation. And that's when you want to really load it on your partner, all the things that you value that happened in the last week. Man, that's, I mean, I guess that's it. If there's, if there's hesitancy, it's, it's just because we haven't done it enough. We, we're, we're a little tentative. We're worried about it. But once we've done it a lot, because there's going to be a moment where you need to learn, you need to know how to sit down and handle a tough issue better later. I mean, better to do it sooner than later, right? Definitely. Get that, get that skill down. Well, I mean, let's. The, the, yeah, oh, go ahead. You know, go ahead. as a coach, probably. Yeah. I know as a therapist, and coaching is part of therapy. I think when it's good therapy. Yeah. Um, and uh, we know that the reason people come in generally is that things have been swept under the rug for too long, and/or they don't have the communication skills to know how to rectify That's situations right. or prevent them from happening. That's right. And I, I love um, – we, we all know communication is important. One of the things I learned as a kind of a social psychologist was that the communication is what creates the meaning. It's how we can change the symbols in our lives. And I mean there's a lot of symbols in marriage that start to become problematic. Kids, money, sex, you know, religion, chores, all these things are symbols that need to be negotiated. And if we don't ever meet and talk, we don't negotiate them very well. Right, and there can be a lot of mind reading and assumptions that um, if we don't check them out, then we don't uh, really connect and we are kind of keeping ourselves from growing. That's right. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Naomi Naomi Berger. Marsha Naomi Berger. Yeah, yeah, Marsha Naomi Berger. Um, Marriage Meetings for Lasting Love is the name of her book. You can go to her website, marriagemeetings.com. We'll take a break, come back, continue this discussion and uh, see if we can't uh, learn how to hold these meetings. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Townsend Show. Does your marriage need a pick-me-up or just even, hey, just some stability and some some uh, strength so that it can grow forward in a healthy, loving way? Well, maybe a marriage meeting is what is, is needed. Joining us is Marsha Naomi Berger. She's the author of the book Marriage Meetings for Lasting Love, and she's here uh, teaching us about the power of these meetings. Welcome back to the show. We appreciate you being with us today. Oh, thank you, Matt. I'm very glad to be here. You bet. Talk to us about kind of the agenda. And I know in the book you talk about it, you walk everybody through the steps, but what are the things that should be part of this meeting? So the four steps of the meeting, and this is a really, it it sounds structured, but it's pretty loosely structured because these are just the general categories. And then you fill in, the couple, each person can fill in how they want to approach each category. So the four Categories are appreciation, chores or responsibilities, planning for good times, and then discussing problems or challenges. Hmm. And uh, the first part, appreciation, each person takes an uninterrupted tone, 
saying exactly what they like about the person now and during the past week since the meeting is designed to happen every week. So whatever um, can be simple things like I like the way your blue shirt brings out the lovely blue color of your eyes, and it could be I appreciate how um, all the delicious meal you cooked on Wednesday night. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was, let's see, what did you make? Um, eggplant parmesan. You made my favorite. Thank you very much. So um, anything, really. You know, I appreciate you visiting my aunt with me, even though, um, you know, you had a lot on your plate, but you took the time out, and I really value your support. That's great. And so it's really about figuring – it's about making sure we're seeing what's good, what's working, what's positive. Talk about what we appreciate um, and I guess that kind of gets into the positive psychology world, right? Where we're, we're identifying the good and the the good in the world, right? And it's that's a basic premise of social work: is you do build on people's strengths. Yeah, and then and then I guess we get a little more technical about chores and planning, like because this is just the day in day out stuff. It sounds like, but it's important to make sure we're we're balancing the workload and how we feel about what's going on and what we want to do. Yeah, this is how we build teamwork, and we also prevent nagging and grudges. So marriage meetings are very proactive because if we take care of things promptly, then there's no reason for holding grudges, and uh, you you don't have to uh, let things pile up every week. Things get taken care of. If they don't, uh, then we say, okay, Rome wasn't built in a day. We have next week to follow up on it. Mm And I guess as part of this, um, this this meeting could be 30 minutes, no more, you say, I guess, than like 45 minutes, right? Yes, because we get tired. We, my husband and I actually figured that out. I'll give my husband credit because when um, – when it, it also goes with the guidelines. The guidelines are you want to have your meeting when you're both well-rested. You don't do it too late at night. And, uh, and and you don't make it last more than 45 minutes because we can get kind of cranky or overwhelmed if right. we don't really have the energy for it anymore. So we want to come in when we're not hungry and we're sober and we're uh, we're not too tired. So we noticed then when we, we started meeting too late, um, we would get cranky. Right. <laughs> My husband said, we've got to start these. You know, or he didn't say we have to. He'd say, you know, he thought we should. It would be better to start the meetings earlier so that we're in a good frame of mind for them. And, and you know, we're human, so we all have our little <laughs> things <laughs> that we have to adjust for. But certainly we don't want to be having a serious discussion when we should be sleeping. Hmm. I mean, again, these are all things that we we figure out in our marriages anyway, but it, if we don't have to do it after 55 times of them making – like calling me a certain name, don't call me that name, then we got to talk about it. We we could learn this early just in the meeting and just say, oh, by the way, I really don't like it when you call me this name. Um, and then I, I always call it making a rule. Then all of a sudden out of this, we we just make a rule. We understand that, OK, I, I don't do that. And then when I quit doing it, it, it seems like an easy way to just – Keep learning, and I'm I'm actually rededicating myself in every meeting to being better. Right, and what we want to do with the I don't like you doing this is what I would like you to to do instead is because it's hard to stick with something that's like a negative expectation, and it's much easier to um, frame it as what I would like instead mm-hmm. because of the premise that the unconscious does not recognize a negative. Like mm-hmm. if I say to you, don't think of a pink elephant, what are you going to think of? Yeah. 
a friend. Okay, so if I say, yeah. don't, don't nag me. Okay. That's right. Nag, nag, nag. It's one that's stick in my head. I'm a nag. I'm a nag. I'll keep nagging. So, so we do have to try to be alert to that. And, and then, it seems like, yeah, go ahead. It's very natural for some reason. You know, maybe it's like from being uh, way, way back when, when we had to worry about these. Um, actually, with the way we are, the, the world is now, we have to worry also about a lot of um, scary things. But um, there's something in our brain, I think, where we, we, we're kind of alert to bad things that could happen. Right. And, and that, so, so it's like an automatic thing uh, we, that we want to reverse if we want to have, you know, connect better with our partners instead of saying um, what we don't want too often. <laughs> Sometimes mm-hmm. we just have to, but, but, but to try to reframe it also to what I would like instead is. What do you... you know, um, like if you're angry with me, I'd like you to make an I statement and say, um, it upsets me when you do blah, 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 or mm-hmm. it hurts my feelings when you do that. I, I'd really appreciate it if, if you're angry with me, if you just say... I don't like it. You know, I'd rather you do such and such. Or yeah. It makes me uncomfortable when you do such and such. And and learning is, I guess, the key to this. This turns us into a couple, a learning couple that right. we're and not assuming. And growing. Yeah, we don't assume mm-hmm. we married the one. The we, we're we're becoming the one. Exactly. I heard of a couple. Um, it was an arranged marriage. I I read about this uh, some time ago. Where it's a couple arranged marriage uh, from. They were from India, I believe, and they were turned out to be a very happy marriage. And she said, we don't think of ourselves as human beings. We think of ourselves as human becomings. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess that's part of the goal here. And once we've kind of sorted through everything that we know is good and appreciative that we appreciate, we've talked about, you know, chores and housework and what jobs need to be done and we're planning and we've got our weekend plan for the good things and our trips coming up. Then you just say, spend some time discussing the problems. You gave us right. some, some keys on that. And then um, we talk it out. And then how do we wrap up this couple's meeting? Oh, that's a really good question because sometimes people say, oh, well, you're ending with talking about problems and challenges. You know, that could be kind of downer. Right. But it, it really isn't because um, usually you get a nice feeling of resolution. And, and then uh, I also encourage people to thank each other for meeting and you can express your appreciation with a handshake, a hug, or you know, a nice smile. But but definitely thank each other for meeting. That's great. And then, you know, go watch TV or go yeah, you can, you might do go, whatever. You know, you... So, uh, frankly, you know, a lot of times we might just go off on our own. We've had our intense, yeah. our intense yeah. time together. Now, now we uh, take a break and go process and and figure out you know what you can do. I think it's powerful. And if anything, just just simply having time, making time for each other, that's got to be beneficial in and of itself. Definitely. And, you know, we kind of skipped over the date part, but that's really, really important. The, the planning for fun uh, should include the um, well-known idea, but not followed enough of having a, a weekly date with yeah. just the two of you. I mean, and how great is that? Well, you don't have your marriage meeting on your date. That's a separate occasion. Yeah, the, there you the go. date is totally... To nurture yourselves and each other and kind of get to the place more like when you were courting before you got married mm-hmm. where everybody was just having a nice time, daydreaming out loud, etc. Yeah, that's great. Well, we appreciate it. Marsha Naomi Berger and your great work on marriage meetings. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you again for having me here. You bet. Go check out the website marriagemeetings.com. We'll take a break, come back, visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour, helping you uh, love stronger, folks. We'll be right back.
For he's a jolly good fellow, for he's a jolly good fellow, for he's a jolly good fellow, which nobody can deny. So true, which folks. So deny. true. He is a jolly good fellow. And today, as we head down to BYU Sports Nation, we get to celebrate the fact that uh, Jason Shepard is now officially a BYU broadcaster. He's always on the show with Jerem, and I mean, he fills in. He's the He's the permanent... Producer fill-in sub stud, but now he's an official BYU broadcaster. Jason and Jerem, hello, gentlemen. Are you there, boys? Oh, hello, gentlemen. I, I can hear some, somebody chattering their teeth. Uh, Je- Jason and Jerem. Um, Jason, by the way has been doing broadcasting for BYU Sports for years. I mean, he looks like he's about sure he looks like he's 30, but he's he's really 75 and and he can't speak. So they're trying to get uh, our good buddies Jason and Jerem from BYU Sports Nation on the line. Guys, can you hear us yet? Hmm. They can hear you. They can hear us. They just we're just and we're Still trying to figure it out. Well, darn it. We'll we'll see if we can get back and, and get the get them pulled up because we got to find out. Uh, we saw the truck for the game uh, all, with all the BYU team gear is on the way to LSU. In fact, they've got to get all the way to Louisiana to the um, to the Superdome. I think is what they're calling it there. Anyway, they'll be. Uh, th- th- we just hope we just hope the truck makes it because I don't know what you do if all of a sudden. The truck gets stopped because of, you know, inclement weather. Do, does the team just play without pads? Or maybe the truck's going to supposedly get there so early that it won't be a problem. Anyway, we uh, apparently are, are having some technical difficulties, so we'll have to make that one up. I'm just going to say the truck will eventually make it, and when it makes it, everyone will be happy. Uh, Terry gave us a rundown of everything that is in the truck, and it was too much. Pads, gear... You know, mouth guards, knee pads, shin, athletic tape, pamphlets, pamphlets like uh, how to how to be a healthy football player. Pamphlets; those are really big. Anyway, creams, creams, ointments, Bengay. Icy I wasn't going to say the name brand, but yeah, you I did. just did. Sometimes I just like to promote. Not really. Okay, so let's instead go to the empty news segment of the show. Uh, Jeff has still been hanging on to some of our – some great stories um, from the – from it's the news you don't even know you need to know. How – are you a fan of irony when it comes to theft? Oh, I love irony when it comes to theft. Can't okay. get enough of it. All right. Well, police in Kansas City are on the hunt for a man accused of stealing a TV while wearing a T-shirt with the phrase, I'm broke, baby. <laughs> So it was printed on the shirt. The Lee Summit Police Department says on its Facebook page that, yes, we realize his shirt is ironic. It is ironic. (laughs) Hilarious. I'm broke, baby. A photo on the page shows the man wearing the black and white shirt, a matching ball cap, and sunglasses. He's clutching a cell phone and what appears to be a shopping cart handle. Mm -hmm. The post says he's suspected of stealing the large TV from a retailer. It doesn't say when the theft occurred. Uh, The post has been shared more than 300 times and generated comments including... Get a job, baby. And shirt says it all. Oh, what you know, would you what would be your comment on Facebook to somebody wearing a 
broke yeah. baby shirt. I, I wouldn't comment because it would be rude what I would want to say. Oh, but wow. The funny thing about it is you don't like he didn't apparently know he was going to be committing that crime or he doesn't understand irony. Yeah, you really got to plan out your outfits ahead of time. Well, we've told that. How many times have we said that? If you're going to rob a bank, make sure you're dressed to for, for success. Well, in fact, we have a sponsor that that can help out, I think. Are you planning to rob a convenience store but are stumped about what to wear? As every crook knows, you only have one chance, approximately four and a half minutes, to make a first impression. So make it a good one and buy your next disguise at the Crook Closet, the only store where criminals can find the outfits they need to feel more confident on the job. Come in now and choose from some of our more popular disguises, such as Chewbacca, Deadpool, and the timely Donald Trump mask. Not only will they keep your identity safe, but they also make great conversation starters. So while you're breaking the law, you'll have the perfect outfit to break the ice. The Crook Closet, the store where you can shop first and ask questions later. Mm. So he clearly did not get yeah. his shirt at the Crook Closet. No, I mean, and I don't know how we can do more, right? I mean, we advertise, we have all of these great sponsors, but you can't, you can't make him wear like the Chewbacca mask. All we do is give to these crooks. We give and give. All they do, by the way, is take, take, take. Well. That really is what a crook does. You're right. But get a different shirt than, you know, I, I'm broke, baby. How about like I survived the Tower of Terror? Yeah. Even that would be better, yeah. you know? Or like Greasy Joe's United Bottomless Barbecue Way. Pit, <laughs> you know? Well, I guess United it, Way. <laughs> I guess it beats. I guess it beats the other – the next story we've got, which is a man with a hatchet in his pants. That's right. There was a guy that was arrested for having a hatchet in his pants. Um, so the – is this Port St. Lucie? I think is so. St. Lucie. So sure. it was it, – oh, Port St. Lucie. Excuse me, Lucy. Uh was swiped from Walmart and he didn't li- – he uh, didn't have a concealed weapon license. <laughs> uh, no, so, I, just, I just stole it from the Walmart. The funny thing about this is – uh, so let's see. They concealing merchandise on his person and in a Walmart shopping bag. This is the best part. He was wearing stolen socks as well, but Walmart let him keep those. See, they don't make a big deal about why the socks. You, why don't you hold on to those stinky socks? Hey, stinky you, socks. You take now. one hatchet and everybody freaks out. Well, I'll give you the socks back. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. You please can keep the socks. <laughs> yeah, we have uh, enough toe jam as it is. It's such a. There's just I don't know. They're so they discriminate, right? They, and it's not even if you stealing, hiding a, a hatchet, it's a weapon, right? But some socks are deadly. That's true. Even more deadly than a hatchet. Maybe the hatchet was dull, right? It's like it's really it's it's like a it's like being pepper sprayed. And that really shows Walmart's true colors too. Sure, we'll take the one thousand dollar TV back. Yeah. But you can keep the socks. We're generous. We give that way. But we do want our hatchet back. And we are pressing <laughs> charges. Okay. Well, we do what we can, folks. We can't, we can't do everything for everybody. We would like to end the show with a hero story. Bring, uh, you know, a little joy to all of us as we watch the, the tragedy going on 
uh, in Houston. A Houston doctor braved the Hurricane Harvey floodwaters in a canoe to make his way to the hospital so he could perform surgery on a teen suffering from a painful and potentially permanent condition. Dr. Stephen Kimmel's own home in Dickinson was beginning to flood on Saturday when he received word that a 16-year-old boy needed immediate surgery at Clear Lake Regional Medical Center. Kimmel hopped in his car and began making his way to the hospital but was stopped uh, because of rising waters. Two volunteer firefighters uh, came along with a canoe and uh, he got in the canoe and they paddled to the hospital. By the way, against heavy currents, sometimes you have to do whatever it takes, Kimmel said in a press release. This young man's life would have been changed for the worse if he hadn't been able to perform the surgery, so luckily it all turned out well. And by the way, there are hero stories like that all over the news. Go look into them and go see if you can't catch the spirit of service that uh, we can find down in those crazy floodwaters. Also, keep your prayers and your donations going out to the people of Houston. That's the show, my friends. We will be back again tomorrow. BYU Sports Nation is up next.